get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's Character and Smallman. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's coming up on 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed for Rolex jeweler. Had to roll the R there. Good morning, Michelle. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. That's very impressive that you can do that. Some people can do it. Some people can't. I can't do the roll your tongue up thing. All right, can you roll your tongue up? Or you make it into a hot dog? Yeah. You can do it. I cannot. Yeah, I can do it. Yeah, that's a genetic thing that some really? people can do. Yeah, some people can't. Can you um, separate your fingers into the V? All right. I, I can do that. Okay, both of us can. Yeah, so that's just a, a left-handed Leo thing, I guess. I guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a fun day coming your way. We're going to talk to Bob Herring of ESPN. He has been covering the daylights out of the Tiger Woods situation, so he'll join us coming up at 845. We're also going to talk to Dan O'Dowd the former general manager of the Colorado Rockies, now of MLB Network. He'll join us in the 9 o'clock hour. And, of course, the top news of the day, and we were all scared by it yesterday and should be distressed by it this morning, Michelle, is that Tiger Woods suffered major injuries in a car accident yesterday during the morning in L.A. And you have to wonder where his career goes from here. So the way they have couched it as part of Tiger's statement on his official Twitter account, his doctor, Anish Majan of Harbor UCLA Medical Center, said that Tiger suffered open fractures. That would mean compound fractures that broke through the skin of his lower right leg. He had a rod placed in his tibia and screws and pins were inserted in his foot and ankle during an emergency surgery. Uh, Comminuted comminuted open fractures affecting both the upper and lower portions of the tibia and fibula bones were stabilized by inserting the rod into the tibia. Additional injuries to the bones of the foot and the ankle were stabilized with a combination of screws and pins as well. So scary. Such a scary situation. We got word yesterday that this had happened. So, of course, the first thing you do is you take to social media to see what's going on. And the first thing I saw was Tiger Woods in a serious car accident and then a photo of the car. Yeah. And if anyone saw that photo of the car, he is so lucky to be alive. Thankfully, he's alive and that first responders were able to get to the scene and get him to the hospital and that he was able to be rushed to surgery. And first and foremost, I'm, I'm glad he's OK, because that is a very scary situation. And, and reading about that stretch of road where yeah. Tiger had the accident, it seems as if this is a place where accidents are, are pretty common because of the way the road turns. And if you're speeding at all, it's hard to maintain control of your vehicle. There are signs everywhere that suggest that drivers should brake because of it. So it just seems like a, a really scary situation. But beyond that, 
you know, we watched the documentary and mm -hmm. we know that Tiger Woods is built differently from a mental standpoint. He has a mental makeup unlike anyone else. So if anyone is going to have the mental fortitude to be able to rehab through more serious injuries, because he's done it before, it's going to be Tiger Woods. From a playing standpoint, will he ever be the same? Will he ever be the competitor that he once was? I don't know. We don't know exactly what these injuries are go going to do to him from a playing standpoint. But I do know that I, w I expect Tiger to attack yet another recovery process, albeit a different one, with the same vigor that he has before. I I've thought a lot about this over the last 18 hours or so. And one issue that we don't think about a lot is walking a course for four consecutive days mm -hmm. and having the knee already he had a torn acl and now a shattered essentially shattered right leg i wonder if that might be as much an issue as swinging and, and shifting weight on the leg i think it's one thing to ride a cart and recover from something like this so that you can play golf again maybe not at the level that he played at before but I don't know about walking, and we're going to ask Bob Herring about this later on. I don't know about walking 18 holes for four consecutive days. And if your leg's stability isn't the same, what kind of impact could that have on your back, which he's right. already dealt with many back injuries as well. He was recovering from another back surgery as this happened. And uh, Bob Herring of, uh, on SportsCenter of ESPN talked about Tiger coming back from that fifth surgery initially. We've all been curious to know where he stood in relation to his possible comeback, which obviously now is way in delayed. But uh, he was he was nine weeks past the procedure, and it's believed to be kind of a two and a half to three month recovery. So we were sort of into that window now where he might be looking like he could be coming back. He was quite pessimistic with in his interview with Jim Nance the other day, but yet. Hitting balls, balls at that outing yesterday. He was hitting balls a couple of weeks after the surgery, not going full out, mind you, but still, it was it was a minimally invasive surgery, one that he was walking the next day. When he was talking about not having ramped it up yet, that kind of led to some concern. Like, was there a setback, or was he just not feeling great yet? And you know, we're probably never going to know how close he was to getting back. Michelle. It's arguable as to whether or not he was the best golfer of all time, but certainly the most gifted golfer of all time. He's just the natural. Mm -hmm. But, and we heard that from Harry, just hitting what he, he was the other day. But he has done so much to that body over the years. Oh, man. That those gifts are going to diminish. There's only so much a body can take, right? Absolutely. I, last night, was looking up his injury history because, as you mentioned, that body has been through a lot. And I went to PGA.com, and they didn't even have this latest procedure, mm -hmm. back procedure on there. And I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. I think I had to scroll down four or five times to get through the list of times throughout his career from 94 until, I believe, 2009 they had listed of all the times where he he missed time from golf because of different injuries that he had sustained. He has been through so much physically. And as, as we know, there was a, a point where he had to basically learn to walk again. Mm -hmm. And he's already come back from something as severe as that once. I wonder for him, and yes, I, I five minutes ago, I just said he has a different mental makeup than anyone else. But I, I do wonder he's 
what he what 50th in the world he was ranked 50th in the world he was recovering already from one back procedure i wonder at what point he decides to say enough is enough I've lived a great life. I've had a great career. I'm fortunate to be alive. I'm so lucky to have my kids and to be able to, to watch them grow. And I, I just want to be a healthy person. And that's it. Not a healthy golfer, just a healthy person. And that's what one of his fellow golfers, a fellow top five golfer, at least Tiger used to be top five, but John Rahm is t- thinking about. There's a different atmosphere in an event when Tiger's playing and when it's not playing. And he is that big. No matter... Even if the best 20 players in the world are playing, if he's not there, you can tell the difference. And, you know, it's just sad to see. He was a great ambassador of the game. And, you know, it looked like he was trying to turn his starting to turn his life around and, you know, maybe looking forward in the future to retirement, spending some great time with, with his son, Charlie. And I, I just hope he can get out of the hospital walking, meaning after a recovery, and, you know, he can still play with his kids and, and have a normal life. And I know a lot of people are thinking now and probably thought yesterday, Tiger, hire a driver. And like you said, this stretch of road in Southern California is something somewhere where even if you have a driver, this kind of thing can happen. Mm-hmm. And I kind of admire Tiger for just driving by himself. He's a billionaire and he just right. gets a, he's no entourage, just driving by himself. Which was surprising to me, too, when I initially read the reports that it was a single car crash and he was the only person in the vehicle. I just assume, especially because he was there on an endorsement deal shooting mm-hmm. things for golf TV, I just assume that if someone to the caliber of celebrity that Tiger Woods is goes somewhere for an endorsement deal, that they have an entire squad mm-hmm. and an entourage, as you said, that are with them at all times. A driver, perhaps a PR person, you know, all an assistant maybe all of these people that have their hand in tiger inc in in the business of tiger probably wanting to be around him all the time so yeah there is a part of you that respects him for just being a guy and for being able to do things on his own because it is surprising more on tiger throughout the course of the morning meanwhile the blues do play tonight late start don't forget that 8 30 here on 101 espn a 7 30 pregame the blues announcing yesterday after we got off the air that carl gunnerson is out for the year with a knee injury we had thought that Maybe it was an ankle injury, but it is a knee injury. Here's head coach Craig Berube. Yeah, it's disappointing for sure and uh, really disappointing for him. I'm sure, uh, you know, an injury like that's tough. Uh, it's tough to, you know, see a teammate and a player go down like that with that injury. Um, feel bad for him. And we're losing, a you know, a great teammate, great guy, and a, and a real good hockey player for us. So now you're down to one of the six players that played Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Vince Dunn is the only defenseman you have that played in that game. Wow. Available right now. Wow. I was thinking about that last night. From the moment that Jay Meester went down and was no longer with the Blues, think think about the ripple effect since that moment of different players, whether it's from injuries that aren't with the team or have moved on, whether it's an Alex Petrangelo. This Blues team, while having some of the same faces from that Stanley Cup team is a completely different team. It really is. It's a completely different team than we saw just two seasons ago. And by the way, it was obviously Bo Meester. And then then you had Dunn, Gunnarsson, Petro, and Pareko. Uh, Or no, Pareko, he had three right and three left. uh, uh, Oh no, Dunn and Gunnarsson were the third pair. And then it was uh, who was playing with Petro at the time? I I don't remember, but there's only one left. Well, I can't remember. So many guys have left. It's been it's been two years. Yeah, I I knew it. I knew it two days ago. I know. Uh, 
I, I don't want to stop. I, I don't want people to hang here. So you, you had Pareko and Bo. You had Dunn and Gunnarsson. You had Petro and uh, who are we leaving out? Oh, uh, Edmondson. Uh, oh, Joel Edmondson. There you go. There, there you, you go. go. So now Nico Mikola will get more of a chance. And Coach Berube, what do you need to see from him? No, I don't think he played bad. I think that he's a young guy still, That a young guy in terms of NHL experience. And we had guys, you know, that we've had used, you know, have been on this team and they're veteran players. And we, we just went with the veteran players. Um, I thought Mikula was fine when he when he was playing. He did his job. Again, it's you know he's he's a tough opponent to play against. He's aggressive and he's got a good stick. And uh, you know, like I said, that's what that's what was said to him too. And this coaching staff is going to have to coach some guys up and get some guys who might not be ready for everyday duty. They're going to have to start playing every day, and that includes Blay and Sanford and Pagansky and McEckern and uh, Mikola. There's a, there's a lot of guys now that are getting opportunities to play every day that ordinarily wouldn't on a team with these expectations. And we spoke to David Perron about this yesterday, and we asked him what the mentality was inside the locker room. And he said, yeah, it's tough, but this is an opportunity now for, mm-hmm. for these young guys. And I think the more that the veteran players on the team can encourage them and say, hey, you're the man up. This is your shot. Let's go. Show us what you can do. We might see some, some good things out of them. And finally, FYI, SLU lost to VCU last night, 67-65. Probably knocked SLU out of any chance of getting an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament. They had so much going for them. And now a couple of losses in the A-10 are devastating. Mizzou loses again. They're going to wind up being a bubble team. And Illinois, they aren't going to be a bubble team. They're in the tournament. Mm-hmm. But number five, Illinois falls to Michigan State. So not a good night for the local college basketball teams. Absolutely not. I didn't check into that Illinois game until later. And I... I had to score. I go, is that the score? What's going on? Wait, what? So you're telling me I'm, I missed a portion of this game and that's what's going on? Not a great night for my Illini. That is our opening drive. We're in the middle of the fairway here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 because I'm going to provide you some sage advice. It is hump day. It's Wednesday and it's Ask Uncle Randy Day with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, if you have a question for me, feel free to weigh in. You can use our mic drop feature with the Rhino Shield mic drop on the 101 ESPN app. That's free to download, by the way. Or you can simply send us a text, 65780. That is our text line brought to you by Air Comfort Services. And we even have an email address. It's called AskUncleRandy at 101ESPN.com. So there are myriad ways to get in touch with me during the course of not only Wednesdays, but if you have an Ask Uncle Randy on a Sunday night, you had a bad time with your family on Sunday and you say, hey, Uncle Randy, I got a question for you. I'll respond. He will, too, people. He will. Yeah. I'm a man of the peeps. <laughs> you are. You are. You give the people what they want, Randy, which is great advice. All right. How about this one from the 314? And this one, I think, is perfect for you, Randy. Dear Uncle Randy, a bunch of my buddies and I are on a group text and we're always texting about sports. 
One of the dudes we're friends with remained a Rams fan after the team left, and he is always throwing in things on the thread about the Rams. The rest of us clearly aren't losers, so we hate the Rams. <laughs> and we've had side texts about starting up a new thread without him on it so we don't have to hear about the Rams anymore. Is that lame of us to kick him out of the chat, or do we just lay down the law and tell him no more Rams talk? The fact that he is still a Rams fan has made us like him less. Please help. You totally start a new uh, text thread without him as a member of it. Yes, that is a disqualification as a Rams fan. I'm going to tell you this. We do the mic drops here. If we're doing, if we're talking St. Louis sports, we're talking Cardinals blues and somebody sends in a mic drop, I'll do respect, uh, with a Rams comment, we're going to accept that. Uh, we're, we're St. Louis. We like St. Louis. And what happens if you are, I think, an ordinary St. Louis sports fan is that when somebody wants to talk Rams with you, it raises your blood pressure level. It aggravates you. There's no reason when you're having fun, you're talking sports, you're in the toy store of life. When you're on a text thread with your buddies and somebody brings up something that's going to ruin your day, you don't want that person involved. So I I would suggest that that's a smart move. And you don't want to have, you don't want to like that guy less just because of the football team that he's chosen as unfortunate as that choice might be. But when you don't hear about the Rams, then there's less opportunity for you to hear from him. And if you don't hear him talk about the Rams to to like him less, yeah, to like him less. Right. Right. Um, I once had someone that I knew that was still a Rams fan and I put it to him in different terms. I said, if you were married and your spouse cheated on you really publicly was like Mm -hmm. flaunting it all over social media and then left you, and married someone else and then was posting on social media, he's gross, he's fat. Can you believe I was with him for that long? No one is ever going to want him. Would you still send them a Christmas card? Great analogy. Would you pay their mortgage? Of course you wouldn't. You would hate that person. That's exactly what the Rams did to St. Louis. They cheated on them. They flaunted mm-hmm. it. They said no one would ever want them. They married someone else. If this was, if you personify it, you would never like that person. You would never support that person. And you would want all your friends to hate that person that did you wrong too. And there are different scenarios because... A guy like DeMarco, for example, he was a Ram before he was a St. Louis. Of course. So, D- different, different, yeah, different thing. thing. But if if you are in this town and you have any pride whatsoever about your family and your friends, then you don't hop on a text thread with your buddies who are St. Louis sports fans who clearly aren't Rams fans and get involved. There are plenty of Rams sites on the internet that you can get on and talk to your fellow Rams fans about with about maybe just change the the name of the group chat to no Rams talk (laughs) just do something (laughs) very passive aggressive and see if he picks up on it um this one from the 636 dear uncle Randy I work from home and my wife is a stay-at-home mom I start at 7 a.m and I need a cup of coffee but she hates the smell of it is there any solution to our problem that makes her happy and I still get my coffee wow okay number one that's interesting because I don't like the taste of coffee, but I'm fine with the smell of coffee. Half of the greatness of coffee is the smell of it in the morning. Now, for this particular issue, does in in my house when my kids drink coffee, the uh, the smell doesn't permeate the house for a very long time. Is there any way that with mom that she could be with the kids in another room while you make coffee and then get to your office area? 
or is that impossible? My, my suggestion would be that she either be somewhere where she can be with the, the child or, or children in a different room while you're making the coffee. You move on to wherever it is you work and then close the door and you've got your coffee and let her start her day. That would be my only real recommendation. That's a good one. Yeah, and since we don't know the layout of the home and if that's possible. How about this? You get up at 7, you tell her if you don't like the smell, why don't you get up at 6.45 and light some candles? You know what I mean? Get, yeah. get a different smell working throughout the house for about 15 minutes. And then when the coffee goes, you won't be able to smell it Yeah, as but much. she's taking care of the kids. I, I respect that. Six, it takes three seconds to light a match. Yeah, I guess we could do that. You know? Or just start, the, start a ceiling fan, right? But that might disperse the smell more, the coffee smell. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, I, I would guess a candle can overwhelm that. It, just get one of those vanilla-scented candles or a candle that she likes yeah, that can that overwhelm likes. the coffee smell in the kitchen. That would be a good idea, too. This person from the 618, Randy, has texted in several times okay. with the same question. So it seems like a pressing this is question. Yep, yeah. big, big thing on a Wednesday. It's very simple. From the 618, Uncle Randy, how do I get a girlfriend? Okay, this is an interesting question, Michelle. During the course of a pandemic, even before the pandemic started, 50% of marriages were the result of online dating. Wait, what? 50% of marriages 50% in America. 50% of marriages were from online dating? Yes. What? Yep, that's where we have gone as a society. That seems so, like an outrageously high number. It really does, but it's accurate, at least according to my sources. So <laughs> here's what you do. And I know somebody who's probably going to get married who met his significant other on Tinder, which isn't normally what is a typical dating site, right? I've been to a Tinder wedding. There you go. Mm-hmm. So we know too. But if you go... And I know it costs money to do the match.com or what's the other big one with the commercials? Uh, there's. Uh, I know there's. Match.com. Is it. Hold on, let me look it up. Let me look this up. Emily, you, you, do you remember right? We should see Hinge. the commercial. Hinge. Hinge is the commercials Hinge. where the f- fluffy guy burns up. It's where my best friend met her boyfriend. There, see, you, there go. you go. There you go. So, uh, how do you find a girlfriend? Uh, you. Uh, hop online. Okay. The five best. Okay, Cupid. Um, no, it was the eHarmony. One... eHarmony. There you go. Okay, I have a list: Bumble, Coffee Meets Bagel, See? Plenty of Fish, Tinder, Okay, Cupid, Hinge, eHarmony. So yeah, that's how it's happening now, and especially with the pandemic, you aren't meeting people in the bars. There aren't as many people at work these days. So that's what you have to do is you have to hop online. So I actually, my podcast last week had a matchmaker on. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. She runs a matchmaking service called The Bevy, where you fill out this big questionnaire and people pay to be the clients there, but they basically curate it for you. But one of the takeaways that I had from my conversation with Nikki Lewis, that's who we interviewed, was that sometimes... It's very rare. Sometimes it works when you set your friends up with other people, but most of the time it doesn't work out. Hmm. So for you to get online and find someone, it's actually more of a process. And and while I'm sure a lot of it has to do with what you're attracted to physically, if you're swiping willy-nilly, 
she was saying that she recommends to all of her friends, don't try to set your friends up with one another. You, just because you like someone individually, you like two different people individually, does not mean that they'd be a good match for one another. So I would not suggest that this person talks to their friends and sees if they have anyone single based on that conversation I had yeah. with her. So take it into your own hands. Take it into your phone. And by the way, if you're just looking for a girlfriend and not necessarily looking for a wife, then you can go more with the, the Bumble and the, the Tinder. I think that's more girlfriendish for the guy. Okay. From Uncle Randy, you heard it's it here a, first. It's, let me put it this way. It's more of a disposable relationship. <laughs> Transient. Uh, we're, the texts are rolling in. E-Harmony, married 15 years as of February 10th. 85% of my friends, including me, have met our spouses online dating. I met my wife on Tinder. We dated two years before getting married in 2018. Met my wife on Match.com. So much better than going to a bar or meeting friends of friends. Uncle Randy with some sage advice here. How about that? And good for all of you. That's that's great. And we, we talk about the darkness of the internet, but this is a, a wonderful thing because... It literally is. Match.com matches you to somebody who has your exact same thoughts and your, your same likes and dislikes. It's pretty cool. The matchmaker also told me, though, that she would never pair two people had that, who had that many similarities because she said that most relationships fail because people get too comfortable and they're not being challenged. There's no intrigue anymore. Mm-hmm. So she suggests that you open up, whether you're, it's on an online dating app or someone you meet in person, open up your mind to dating someone that you didn't think that you would normally be into because if you have someone who teaches you something and then it it can become a a mutual thing but you're learning from them it has a little a little spark to it that's good yeah see i'm i don't want to learn anything but that's me but you and joan you have a lot of differing interests right yes we do see and that's what makes a relationship healthy. You can do your thing, she does her thing, then you guys can hang out together. All right, dear Uncle Randy, this is from the 636. I have two employees who can't get along. HR will only allow me to terminate one of them. Both of them, this is important, are equally guilty. What is the best way to determine who stays and who goes? Who's the most valuable employee? (laughs) Who's the one that makes you the most money? If you have two employees- Check the payroll. (laughs) Yeah, the one that helps the company most. And sure, that person that that helps the company most, that person may not have been around as long. That person may be kind of a jerk if they're both equally guilty. But at the end of the day, your job, I always looked at my job is to help my company make money. That's at the end of the day, what we're all hired to do is help the company make money. Absolutely. Your job is to have the most productive people working for you. You can only fire one of them, get rid of the least productive one. What if it's equal? What if they have the same position and it's pretty comparable? Then get rid of the one that you like least. (laughs) Take the one that you like most and keep the one that you like most. Why am I getting fired? Well, because don't tell him this, but here's the real reason. Because I like that guy better than I like you and I can't keep both of you around. Yeah. Wow. I do not envy that person. That is a tough position to be in. Have to make a decision like that? Hey, I could never have a job where I had to get rid of people. Oh, I could, I could never, never fire anyone. Yeah, never. No, I, I would be terrible. I so, would be the worst boss in the world. Someone could come in the office. They could be terrible at their jobs. They start crying. I'm like, it's all right. Don't yeah, you yeah. worry. We no, we're figure good. We'll, we'll make out. this work. <laughs> yeah. You and I would be the worst bosses ever. <laughs> all right. One more quick one, Randy, from the 618. Dear Uncle Randy, I've been trying to work on my golf game a lot this winter. Do you have any tips to help me become a scratch golfer? Yes, I do, actually. Okay, so you're working during the winter months. Get yourself, head on over to uh, visit my friends at Golf Discount. They're in O'Fallon and South County. And get yourself uh, putt. 
machine because we drive for show and we putt for dough. This is something that you can do inside when we have a week like we just had, and you can putt indoors and improve your putting game. Second thing is head on over to Family Golf, and they do great work. Not only do they have heated practice tees and they have an indoor facility as well but you can actually learn some things one of the things that i like to do because i didn't start golfing seriously until it was 25 so i need a tune-up at the start of every golf season Mm. so if maybe during march you can get over to family golf and a couple of times get together with one of their pros rj's the best there you go get together with rj over at family golf and just get a little tune-up for your swing and the great thing about PGA pros is that they can diagnose things so quickly for you and then you can just practice the thing that you have to do is practice what you aren't good at we all love to go out and do what we do well I can hit my seven iron all day long but I need to when I go out now I go out and I hit my wedges because I cannot hit my wedges consistently enough so when I go out on a nice day at the range I'm hitting my wedges off the grass and I'm not going to get my driver and hit a hundred balls with the driver so whatever you don't do well when you go out to the range ask your teacher to help you with what you don't do well and then just practice the daylights out of it for a while but you can never go wrong staying at home and putting a hundred balls a couple of times a day i had uh, a couple of golf holes when we had our house built had a couple of golf holes just drilled into the floor in my basement and that's what i do i just i can putt for several hours. It's great. That's awesome. <laughs> so I used to have a, a golf net downstairs, too. I could hit downstairs. But uh, a lot of file cabinets have built up around my hitting area, so I don't have that anymore. Oh, man. Didn't yeah. they know that was the hitting area? Yes. <laughs> it went away. <laughs> so, all right. Thanks for all you, all of your questions. We appreciate you joining us for uh, Ask Uncle Randy. And, again, Ask Uncle Randy at 101ESPN.com, and you can always uh, send us a mic drop or a tweet, whatever. Coming up, we've got Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780, and later on at 830, we'll need a fighter. So you can text us with your name and the word fight if you'd like to participate in the fight today on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Okay, I'm still learning how to read a clock, so Take It or Leave It is actually going to be our next segment here on 101 ESPN. And we're going to talk about Jack Flaherty, but we did have one more text for Ask Uncle Randy that we wanted to get to. Yes, this one snuck in as soon as we were done. It's from the 636. It says, Dear Uncle Randy, after going on a first date, after it goes well, do you text the person back the next day slash when do you call them? Next morning. Had a great time. Hope you did too. Yep. You text or call? If you if you are a calling person, calling is great, but texting is probably the way to start in 2021. Probably. Yeah. But yes, next day, next morning. Don't play games. No. If you like them, let them know it. Exactly. Right. That's that's what I would do if I were in that situation. I would. I would. You clearly listen to that segment, and you have people texting in. How do I get a girlfriend? How do I get a girlfriend? If you went on a date with somebody you like and you think they like you back, text them. Right. How would you feel about on the second date a, a single rose showing up? Well, this isn't The Bachelor, right? No. No. Okay, no. <laughs> Jack Flaherty. A single rose? Yeah, just bring a, don't bring a dozen flowers because it's too early for a dozen, but just one flower. Yeah, I guess it's a nice thought. Okay. But it does have The Bachelor connotation to it. Like, will you accept yeah, this Yeah, it's rose? true. It, I, I wasn't thinking of it in that way. True. 
Yeah, because you don't want to say, okay, you're the one, right, right, right. Yeah, for the second date. Yeah. The Bachelor, that's amazing how The Bachelor has changed that. Right. I hadn't thought of that. Single rows, pretty much, yeah. used to be Beauty and the Beast, but then The Bachelor right. swooped in. Yeah. Jack Flaherty sp- spoke to the media yesterday. It's his first uh, visit with the media since he beat the Cardinals in arbitration. And one of the things that Derek Gould, has, and Derek Gould has covered Jack Flaherty since the start of his career, and asked Jack whether or not, it's inevitable, as we believe it is, that Jack will enter free agency after his sixth season in the majors. I don't think anything is inevitable. That's that's saying that things are already determined. And if you think I've looked four years forward, then I don't think, like you know me, we stay in the present. We stay in the present moment of, of what's going on right now. Um, that's something that's two years away. So for me to say that, to say yes, it's inevitable means that if, if I've even looked that far ahead. So no, not, not at all. We, we stay right here. We stay in this moment. And, um, you know, again, free agency, I can't control what happens at that point. Control right here. I can control this conversation. I don't know what the hell's going to happen right after this or what's going next, but um, that's all we can work on. Well, I can say this, that Jack Flaherty turned down Cardinal offers two years in a row and had them automatically renew him so that he had better arguments in arbitration. So clearly after his first and second years in the majors, he was looking ahead. And I'll tell you right now, he's going to free agency. He might not say so, but he's going to free agency. This is a business move. He's yeah. not He's not going to say anything that's going to paint him into a corner one way or the other. He's going to keep every possible door open that he can so that one team, whether it's the Cardinals or an outside team, is going to pay him the money that he believes he deserves. And that after an arbitration hearing that favored his line of thinking, I'm sure he feels that even more now. And a lot of players are offended by the arbitration process, but this is something that flared, even though he didn't like everything he heard in the Zoom arbitration hearing, he embraced it. The process in, a, in and of itself, it's not a fun process, to be honest. It, it, it just sucks. I mean, you're going back and forth with uh, the team trying to figure out, you know, you kind of value, you, you pick your value, they pick, they pick your value, and, you know, you hope to come to an agreement, and if you can't, then you leave it up to go into a hearing, which uh, is not a fun process. I mean, it's, a, it's just a long day for everybody to kind of be there and be, be a part of it. And by the way, Derek Gould reported today at stltoday.com that ultimately Flaherty's agent and the Cardinals got within $250,000 of a one-year deal. They wound up 900000 apart when they went to arbitration, but they were within a quarter of a million dollars of making an agreement for one year. Think about what that is comparatively for the Cardinals. For most people, that's a ton of money. For the Cardinals, think about that comparatively. To having a player that you want to potentially sign long-term, having to go through this process have negative feelings and then potentially, I don't know, upsetting him. I don't know if that's the right word or or pushing him towards another avenue. I I wonder if that was something they considered or if in their mind's eye, they know he's going to go to free agency no matter what we do. It's not a good process that they have where the team has to come in and criticize the player to get what they want out of it. I wouldn't want to be in that position. No, and the players required to be in the hearing. A couple of years ago, the Yankees and Dellen Batances, D-E-L-L-I-N, Dellen Batances, they went to arbitration. Batances is sitting there in the hearing, and throughout the entire hearing, Randy Levine, the president of the Yankees, called him Dylan. Oof. That 
is uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. So after Flaherty beat the Cardinals in arbitration, he put up a meme, the Michael Jordan meme, that said, and I took that personally. What did he mean by that? Yeah, the process of itself. I mean, it just, you can take it however you want, but the, the process of itself is just, it, it, it's it's something that you, you don't want to go through. You hope to come to, you know, come to an agreement. And if you can't, you can't. And um, you hope at the end of the day that you're right. And, and you know, in this instance, uh, I guess that's the way it was seen. So um, it was just good to, good to come out of there and good to be done with it. And now he's looking ahead and he wants to throw 200 innings, Michelle, this year. Good. And I hope the Cardinals will not baby him. And by the way, he was on board with the Cardinals babying him last year, mm-hmm. treating him with kid gloves. He said that was a good move on their part. But he's worked all offseason to be ready to throw 200 innings. Not many pitchers have or are capable of throwing 200 after last year. I have complete faith that he can. And I, I listened to the Zoom with him, and one of the questions that was asked is, does this arbitration hearing give you any more motivation when it comes to this upcoming season? And he says, I don't need any external motivation. I have everything inside of me. But I do wonder if this didn't put a a log on the fire. And for him to say, I want to go out there and throw 200 innings, if this isn't something that's burning inside of him now to want to prove the Cardinals wrong, to want to prove his worth to other teams, to want to, to... emphasize it to himself and he's going back to arbitration next year there you go and at the end of the day and this is not a bad thing he wants to be great obviously he he wants to be known as great but following greatness in baseball comes a lot of money so the the motivation for greatness is akin to the motivation for money and that's not a bad thing right if you believe that you're worth a certain amount of money and you want some team to pay it for you now's your chance to prove it i have If he stays healthy, he'll throw 200 innings this year. Agreed. So I'm looking forward to him being great, and he'll likely, I would hope, start opening day for the Cardinals. Next up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Time for Tioli on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle is here. Emily is here. I'm Randy. And Michelle, uh, Aaron Rodgers, as he is every week, was on the Pat McAfee show yesterday. And Rodgers said, one of my idols growing up was Alex Trebek. Being able to be on Jeopardy years ago, even though my wardrobe outfit wasn't the greatest choice, they're doing some guest hosting spots, and this is going to be released here pretty soon. But I had the opportunity to do one of those. On April 5th, Aaron Rodgers is Mm -hmm. going to start a two-week stint as a guest host on Jeopardy. Take it or leave it. He'll be great at it. Take it. I think he will, too. He's a very smart guy. He's got a fun personality. This is a show that he loves and that he knows. I think he's going to be a natural at it. And uh, there, I think Katie Couric is next. They Right now, I think the... Uh, Executive producer Mike Richards is his name. Uh, they had Ken Jennings, who's like the goat of all Jeopardy. So, hey, cool, your computer works. I've done that before. BT used to always call me because I wouldn't turn my telephone down. He used to call me on the air. Just Well, he was sitting in your chair. Just to confirm that it was on? Yeah, just to give me trouble. Yeah, sometimes at the beginning of the show, I'll hear a text come through for you. But the thing with this computer is that I always think it's turned down, and then one of these videos on a website will just start up. Bizarre. <laughs> Pretty cool. So I, I'm with you. I'm going to take it that he will be great, but it will not be his next career. It will Rogers. not be his next career. Right. You don't think that if they offered him the gig, well, I don't think he'd walk away from football for that. But, no. okay, I wonder if there's 
because he has a lot of star power, a lot he of does. star power. I wonder if there's a way for them to have a bridge where it's maybe one season or something with a rotating door. And then if if he wanted the gig, if he said, I'm going to give it one more one more go in the NFL, hold my seat if they would do it. Well, another thing they could do, and he'll have made a couple of hundred million by that time, is have a host for the regular daytime show or the primetime show, or not primetime, but like six o'clock, and then do just a special primetime twice a week kind of thing where he's the host of that one. They've done that for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Had sep- I, I think it, when it was a daily show, it was Regis, and they had uh, somebody else doing the nighttime show. So you could do that. Randy, we have the NFL Network on on one of these TVs in the studio. Sometimes it's ESPN, sometimes it's MLB Network, but NFL Network is up today, and they were talking about the Combine. And, and we that's kn- my fault, by the way. Uh, why you put it up? Yeah, I was... I, I, was planning on I, I didn't look up at the tv so channel 804 is mlb network channel 802 is nfl network i hit 802 and i walked away oh, my fault Randy. okay good yeah i was surprised it wasn't mlb network this morning because yeah. normally we see all sorts of great baseball stuff it's up there <laughs> where to go randy come on throw those glasses on before you <laughs> hit the gym. Uh, but we know that the nfl combine is going to get canceled this season and i'm sure people like the nfl network are, are bummed out by that because it's content for them but take it or leave it one of the best parts about not having an NFL team in your town is that you don't have to pretend to care about the combine. A hundred percent take. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And especially here, we always had a top 10 pick. And so the draft was something that we were invested in from October on, really oh, yeah. September on. We knew that the team was going to be bad, so we were going to have a high pick. So, yeah, the combine was like a, a rite of passage for us. The draft was our Super Bowl every year. It really was, yeah. <laughs> but the combine, a snooze. The combine oh, is a terrible. snooze. Terrible. You, I don't want to watch guys do sprints and, and jumps. Broad means, jumps. And, and hear the same questions being asked They're with the same yeah. boring answers that they've been coached up to say. It's The entire thing is a snooze, but we had to be into it because the Super Bowl for us every year was the draft. And, and two things that disturb me about the combine. Number one, the 40-yard dash, which is the biggest thing, but the players in the combine aren't running with 20 pounds of equipment and pads on themselves, right? right? right. So that really doesn't matter. And at the end of a three-hour football game, how does any of that apply? What you want to do is be in great condition for the fourth quarter. And they don't do it. They don't work long enough at the combine to be able to simulate what a football game is. The, the uh, Our friend Coach Venturi said, tape is what shows right. you. Tape plays. You, you want to see how a player plays in the fourth quarter of a game. A lot of people can be really good at working out. Yep. We've seen it before. <laughs> we, have, we have been duped yeah, many Jason, times in the combine. Jason Smith was really good at working out. Great combine. Yeah. And then the first day, man, first day they tried him at left tackle. Oh, this isn't going to work. There's always one guy that comes out of the combine that has an insane vertical or a 40-yard dash, and people fall in love with them. And by the way, one of those guys, to his credit and the Seahawks' credit, was DJ Metcalf, and he's turned into a player. Mm -hmm. Emily Butcher, what do you got for us? From the 636, it's National Tortilla Chip Day. It is. I'll take tortilla chips every day, twice on Sunday. I love tortilla chips. Take it or leave it. You know what tortilla chips make? Nachos. There you go. Take it or leave it. This is a great day to celebrate with nachos. Take take it. it. Take it. Unquestionably. Take that every day. I really love a tortilla chip with a hint of lime. 
whether it's already pre-manufactured when you open the bag or if you do mm-hmm. a little drizzle of lime on there. So that's a nice kick. Fantastic. And by the way, I really do admire and appreciate like the the Mission Taco chips, the local ones. Oh, yeah. They're great. From the 636, take it or leave it, the Blues get back at least three of the injured players by the end of the season and make the Stanley Cup finals. Take it. Isn't that one of our pillars of the show? All roads lead to, lead to hardware. Yes, that's one of them. Who are the three players you say they get back? Uh, the forwards, 17, 18, 91, and 21. You're going to get four back. You're going to get Schwartz, Thomas, uh, Tarasenko, and Bozak. I want to take it because all roads do lead to hardware, but I'm more concerned about the defensive players. Yeah, that might we'll be get out. Pareko back, too. Are you sure? Yep. Okay, now, he might not sure. be he's coming back. I'm not sure if he'll be 100% by the end of the season in the playoffs, but he'll, he will be back. After reading the great piece by Jeremy Rutherford in The Athletic where they suggested that rest might not cure mm-hmm. what ails him, I don't wonder if he comes back and then has to sit out again. Yeah, but that'll be after they win the cup. Oh, he, okay, He won't great. be able to lift the cup. That'll be a problem. He can't lift the cup. Because of the back. But he'll be able to play. Cup weighs 36 pounds or something, 37 pounds. Yeah, but he'll be able to play. The cup is heavy. Yeah. From the 636, take it or leave it, Wayno should get the ball in the home opener in what is likely his last season. Ooh, I'm going to take that. I, I'm going to leave it. I, I know that you're going to want it to organize it a different way, but I would love to see that. I think... With fans in the stands, too? That would be great. That would be very special. Uh, it's not that I don't like nostalgia. You like winning more? I like winning more. Yeah, I understand. That's my problem. I understand. And a lot of the nostalgia with Adam Wainwright is tied to winning. It you, really is. You, we love him because he's been great for so long. Yeah. So Flaherty starts the opener on, uh, let's see, their regular season opener is, it's actually in April, right? So uh, regular season opener at Cincy on the 1st of April. And then uh, one, two, three, four. You could have Flaherty start the game on the 6th at Milwaukee. So if you, you can set it up so that, now, you probably couldn't set it up so that Wayno would start. Yes, you could. Hold on. One, two, three. What you'd have to do is have Wayno start game two at Cincinnati, and then he's off the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, and he would start the home opener against the Brewers. Yeah, you can pull that off. No there problem at all. There you go. Everyone's happy. Yep. From the 314, take it or leave it. Albert Pujols' 2005 NLCS home run off of Brad Lidge is his most memorable as a Cardinal. I'm going to take that. Yeah, I am too. If I close my, if you say Albert Pujols home run, if I close my eyes, that's the first vision that I have. Yeah, which is incredible because it came in a series that they lost. I mean, here's a guy that played in a couple of winning World Series, <laughs> three home runs in a World Series that's game. Right. I, I, that one, and then because I was there for the weekend, the back-to-back days, the Saturday and Sunday with the walk-offs against the Cubs. I would also throw in his return to Bush Stadium, the home run that, that he was hit there. That was yeah. very special, too. But that home run off of Brad Lidge, everyone in that stadium and everyone watching that game had the same collective, oh, my God. Yeah, that was epic. By the way, it might not be his last season, though. <laughs> That's right. He may he may be coming back. Yep. From the 636, take it or leave it, we will see an MLB lockout in 2022. Take it. Oh, I don't want to take it. You have to. Do I have to? I absolutely have to. No, you don't have to. You can dream. I would like to think that cooler heads would prevail, Randy, but I do know we have a pretty gross history of baseball getting in its own way. Yeah, but they've gone the longest of any sport without a work stoppage. Last one was 1994. Everybody else has had a work stoppage since. 
I know there's a lot of animosity on both sides, and I and I truly do see where I see the arguments, some parts of the arguments on both sides. But I would like to think that cooler heads could prevail, and they could get together, and they could say, we need to read the room. We are not the top dog. We cannot afford, from a sports perspective, to not have games. You are 100% correct, and they also have to look at the fact that That'll be two out of three years where you will have missed games because of the pandemic last year. Uh, and you're going to turn off your fans every time there's a work stoppage. If you have fans back, they're coming back after a work stoppage. Think about the NHL, how many fans probably didn't come back after yep. after that stoppage. I, but we don't see any, um, we really don't. And that bothers me a lot. But I would like to think that they could get somebody in the room, a mediator, whatever, that could say, you guys, it is beneficial for both parties for you guys to work this out and play games. It's a different time than ever with the competition that's out there with esports, with MLS, with things that aren't sports related. A work stoppage for baseball in 2022 can be devastating for their sport. It could ruin the sport. Absolutely. And to your point, this is yes it's sports this is entertainment Mm -hmm. they need to look at themselves through the vein of entertainment not through sports because you're right at night when people come home and they have dinner with their family and then they put the kids to bed they're competing against netflix they're competing against hbo they're competing against jeopardy they're not competing necessarily with other sports Mm -hmm. anymore and they're not even at the top of the mountain when it comes to other sports right so that's why I love that Fernando Tatis Jr. is now emerging as the face of baseball because he's electric. He's fun. He gives people an entertainment reason to tune Which in. they need. They need. Thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line. Thank you, Emily. Coming up, is this car crash the end of Tiger Woods' career? It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> in St. Louis. Your ticket time brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Even before his car accident yesterday, Tiger Woods had a questionable near-term future in golf. He had undergone his fifth back surgery, and Michelle, heck, when you have one back surgery, it affects you. Whenever you have a surgery, it's going to affect your body. It's, your body's never going to be the same. Five back surgeries that he had undergone. Just back surgeries. Yeah. He's, un- he's had many surgeries on his body, but five back surgeries is remarkable. And one of the reasons that he was in L.A. is because he was the host of the Genesis Tournament at Riviera, and he was asked by Jim Nance on Sunday if he would be at the final raw or uh, be there for the Masters. So, Tiger, seven weeks from today, final round of the Masters, you're going to be there. God, I hope so. <laughs> I got to get there first. You feel uh, like you a, a lot of a lot of space on you know my, my surgeons and uh, my doctors and my therapists and making sure that uh, I do it I do it correctly and um, this is the only back I got so I don't know how much more much more uh, wiggle room left there. Wiggle room to get to the Masters. Obviously, he planned on playing, but you wonder with the torque that he has in his swing and the way he plays the game, whether or not. After five back surgeries, even before the car accident, he would have been able to pull this off. Absolutely. And it seems like that's been the storyline surrounding Tiger for many years now. Injury, chasing 
to get back, chasing the championships, injury again. It's been a cycle for many years. And after a situation like this, when he's probably walking away from this, being so grateful to be alive and knowing that it's going to be an uphill battle for him from a recovery standpoint just to live a normal, healthy life. Mm -hmm. And I have no doubt that Tiger Woods will attack it with his tough mental mindset and tenacity. But I wonder where returning to golf is on his scale of priorities right now. Because while golf has given him so much, it's given him greatness, it's given him a lot of money, it's given him fame, power, all of these things. It's also taken a lot from him. It think think about what he's had to endure over the past decade, decade plus, not only from a physical standpoint, but from a personal standpoint. He has been picked apart and taken down and beaten down and built back up many different ways from an emotional standpoint a mental standpoint from a family standpoint from obviously a physical standpoint and while he is one of the greatest athletes we'll ever see in our lifetimes i i wonder when enough will be enough for him and maybe his body will make that decision for him yeah i i could see that one of the uh, golf channel analysts yesterday said that when the the former golfers that are on the golf channel go out for dinner one of the questions that's come up several times is would you want to live Tiger Woods' life? These are pro golfers. Mm -hmm. And he said nobody has ever said that they would want to have Tiger Woods' life. That includes all the success and all the money, but also includes the scrutiny, the pain, Mm -hmm. and everything else that goes with it. I've never been around Michael Jordan. I've never been around LeBron. But you and I have been around many professional athletes Mm -hmm. in many different settings. I have never seen anything in my life like I witnessed when I saw Tiger Woods at the PGA Championship here in St. Louis. His power and his command of people and the insatiable appetite that people have to be near him and to be near his greatness is something unlike I've I've ever witnessed in my life being involved in sports. And, And this goes back to Albert Pujols. This goes back to many other athletes. There's just something about Tiger Woods that attracts people. Yeah. And that is true whether he's on the golf course or whether he's out to dinner with his family or whatever it is that he's doing, there is a spotlight trained on him. And I think after he came back and won the Masters, we saw a different human side of him Mm -hmm. that we had never really seen before. And maybe because he wasn't that vulnerable, we viewed him in a different way as if, you know, just a quick aside, watching the Britney Spears documentary and watching the Tiger Woods documentary back to back really changed my perception of the way that we as a society are really voyeuristic and oh, that yeah. we do not treat these people like people. We treat them as they exist purely for our entertainment. Like they're in an aquarium or something. Exactly. And when I think, and we are all complicit in that. I mean, we <laughs> we buy the, the magazines and I can tell you when Tiger Woods was having his marital issues, we were all clicking and we were all talking about it. We were all watching all of the news programs that were dissecting the deepest, darkest corners of his personal life mm-hmm. that frankly shouldn't have been up for our consumption and so if i if i am an athlete and i can live a life where i'm making great money i'm doing what i love and i have some level of success and fame but i'm not at the top of the mountain and i don't have to deal with everything that tiger woods has had to deal with i would choose that all day i would never want to live that life i don't think that i would either Uh, let's uh, think about this tiger has what are deemed open fractures to his lower right leg. He had a rod placed in his tibia and screws and pins inserted in his foot and ankle during emergency surgery. It's what's called 
comminuted open fractures, which are multiple fractures, which basically means shattered bones affecting both the upper and lower portions of the tibia and fibula and additional injuries to the bones of the foot and ankle were stabilized with a combination of screws and pins so even if he can get back out on the golf course what's he going to look like here's Dottie pepper of cbs i think you're going to see more of what we've what we've seen now where he has good days and he has bad days and there are days when he moves extremely well for example the first round at augusta in in november in, in 20. i was out with him and i saw him it, it was masterful the way he moved the golf ball both ways when he needed to with every club in the back. And then as rain delays and all, all of that sort of manifested into very, very long days going into the weekend, he's tired, he's sore, it takes more time to get prepared for the round. You see him getting a little stiffer as the round goes on. So I think you're going to see a guy who's going to have to work for every great day that he has. And hopefully we'll be in that position where we can watch it and call it. But I, I just think we got to take the positive until we know exactly what's happened. He is going to know when it's going to rain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're sadly. Yeah, his body will tell him. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and I, uh, Dottie knows more about golf, and obviously she wasn't aware of the severity of the injuries sure. when this interview took place at four o'clock yesterday, three o'clock St. Louis time. But it's just hard for me to imagine, Michelle, that he will be able to walk 18 or 4-4 for consecutive days. That's a great part of this. We're thinking about the the way the body moves when you swing. And we're, we're thinking about the stability of his legs and how that might be affected. But walking a, a course for that many days takes a toll in itself on your body. Yeah. And it's... Doesn't it say something about us that here is someone who survived what should have been a potentially deadly crash and sustained pretty serious injuries? And the first question we have is, will we get to watch him golf again? You know, but that that is how transcendent he is as a golfer is that we are so magnetized to watching him play and to to the cycle of is tiger back is he in contention do i need to tune in on sunday is he wearing his reds is tiger in the hunt it's something that's inside us that is so connected to him and to watching his success or his pursuit of success that that's one of the first things we think of here's all we need to know from two o'clock to midnight last night That was the story on Fox News, CNN, Mm -hmm. and MSNBC. Oh, yeah. Uh, We had hearings about what happened in the Capitol on January 6th. The the police people that were there, the the people that had to resign, that was real news. And all three of those channels spent their time on Tiger Woods. When you talk about transcendent, what could be more transcendent than that? That's a great point. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up... How do the Blues move forward with all of these injuries? That's next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Carriker and Smallman with you on 101 ESPN. Your St. Louis Blues, well, such as they are. In action tonight at 8.30 against the Kings. 7.30 pregame with Alex Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And Michelle, you think about what the Blues ordinarily would have heading into tonight's game and what they do have heading into tonight's game. Yesterday, the Blues announced that uh, they have lost... 
Carl Gunnarsson for the rest of the season with a knee injury. Ivan Barbashev undergoes surgery. He's out for six weeks. Tyler Bozak is still out. Robert Thomas is still out. Jaden Schwartz is still out. Colton Pareko out. Vladimir Tarasenko on the comeback trail. So that is eight players, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players that you would plan on having in your lineup tonight that you don't have at all. And many of those see for you won't for quite some time. That is a pretty impactful collection of names that you just read off, Randy. And while the names on the back of the jerseys that we're going to see with the blues are going to be different, at least the blue knot on the sweater and the front sweater is the same. And I think that that's the mentality that they need to take in the locker room. Next man up. Right. We are still sitting in second place right now. We need, I'm sure the messaging is not tread water, even though that's mm-hmm. what, the way that we as outsiders are looking at it. But they're probably saying you're in this position for a reason and now you have an opportunity to step in and do something and let's see what you have but my goodness is that a list of names craig baruby have you ever seen anything like this um i'm sure i have but (laughs) uh yeah it's uh that's the situation that we're in but uh you know we just got to move forward and and go play and, and and win some games and so how do you move forward how do you deal with a group of injuries like this group listen like you know looking at the game again last night and looking at it today you know we're right there in that game. We didn't, uh, you know, we didn't score any goals, and we had we had real good opportunities too. But quick, I thought played a real good game for them, and uh, you know, kept us off the scoreboard. Um, you know, we just got to keep grinding through this and uh, keep working together. The biggest thing is just sticking together as a team, uh, making sure that we're doing that, and um, you know. Guys that are going in there, going in the lineup, they're getting an opportunity to uh, play, and we need everybody just to step up. And uh, again, it's not going out there as an individual and um, trying to do it yourself. It's like making sure that the team is first, and a team—it's the team game that's going to pull us through this. He's right. Even in some of the games that they've lost recently, even with a lot of these impactful players that have been out for the Blues, a lot of these losses are things that they shouldn't have had happen. You know, the turnovers. Mm-hmm. Thing, there's a lot of controllable factors that the Blues have right now. They can't control the injuries. They, they can't control any of that. But if they clean up their game, if they continue to play Blues hockey during this stretch while they're waiting to get some of these players back, I'm not saying that they're going to you know, be thriving and be winning. But I do think they'll be able to at least maintain some modicum of success. And at some point, they're going to get some of these guys back, exactly. including Tyler Bozak, who is on the comeback trail. What's the time frame for him? No, I mean, if he keeps feeling better and better as he goes along and uh, hopefully, he, you know, he'll be in our, our team skate tomorrow. We'll see. But, uh, you know, those are all good signs. And you've got Tarasenko on the comeback trail, too. But, Michelle, one of the things that the Blues obviously pride themselves on is their great depth and the fact that they can come after at you wave after wave after wave. <laughs> and especially with the, the forwards that you're missing, because people that come after you like Bozak, like Barbashev, like Robert Thomas, like Jaden Schwartz, when those guys are gone, that, that wave turns into kind of like just a, a, a light wave up to the beach it's not it's, it's like, not a, a a surf wave you know <laughs> it's, just a, whoosh, it's like something that you download to make you feel comfortable 
it's like a ripple almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's coming up. Uh, but that can still be effective. Mm-hmm. I think the good news for the Blues is that Jordan Bennington has been playing really well. You're seeing, you know, great things out of Jordan Cairo. You're seeing uh, a reinvigorated Justin Falk in a lot of ways. There are guys that have been stepping up in different ways. Now you just need to have these these new faces plug and play. And you're going to see increased minutes for Falk and Krug. I would think that those guys are really going to have to take it upon themselves defensively to be the the core, be be the anchors for the Blues. And this is an awesome opportunity for a guy like Vince Dunn mm-hmm. to really play a good two-way game and he he played well after he was benched, but now he and he's going to be in a position to make some money. He can step up to be a top four defenseman and show the entire league that he has that capability. Yeah, if he needed any more of an incentive after he was reading that he was about to get moved from the Blues, Mm -hmm. here it is, to your point. He's going to get increased minutes. This is a big opportunity for him to make a statement, and let's see if he's up to the challenge. And what a bummer for Scott Perunovich, who's out for the season, and he won the Hobie Baker Award last year. He was the best player in college hockey, but he's out for the year, and this would have been a golden opportunity for him, too. It absolutely would have. Man, this is a long list of injuries. Are you on the panic bus yet? No. Okay, no. if you're at the doctors, you know how they have the different faces uh-huh. on the scale of how you're feeling? Where are I, you? I've got the uh, the straight lip. Okay, so you're the smiley face with the lines, with yeah. the eyes that are eyes in yeah. the mouth. But I, I don't have a frown and I don't have tears welling up in my eyes yet. I have kind of the wincing face where I'm like, ugh. Okay. You know, I'm, not a, I'm not on the panic bus. I'm not in extreme pain here, but I am a little concerned. Another guy that's getting a great opportunity here is Mackenzie McEachern. And one of the things that every player has to do is play within their capabilities. And he was asked if he has to do more with everybody hurt. Uh, I think I just got to kind of stick to what I do best. Uh, I create turnovers with my skating and my pressure on the floor check. So I think I just got to keep doing that. I think as our line as a whole, we've been kind of creating a lot of chances. So we're happy with that. But I think we all know that we kind of got to bear down on those chances to to get over the hump. Sunshine lollipops here. People like McEachern, people like Sammy Blay, Sanford, Vince Dunn, they're going to get opportunities and come playoff time, they're going to have great experience. All come play- so playoff time, the experienced players with the time off that they've enjoyed because they did have the short off season with the time off that they've had. They haven't really enjoyed it because they've been hurt, right. but they're going to be fresh. This team is going to hit the ground running come playoff time, and they're just going to run over teams. It's going to be great. So we have four pillars on the show. We haven't determined what three of the four pillars are, but one of them is all oh. roads All roads lead to hardware. Yes, that's So thank you, Randy, for taking this incredibly discouraging list of injuries that the Blues are dealing with and somehow leading us back to the Stanley Cup. Hey, we don't have uh, what I call it, uh, commutated uh, fractures or anything like that. That's right. These guys will all come back. And It's not like they rolled their cars in L.A. Correct. And as you mentioned, not only will they be perhaps a little fresher, you have guys like Vladimir Tarasenko, who certainly has to prove. I keep, I keep thinking back on him and the fact that he's getting closer and closer and about how during the offseason he talked about People think I'm never going to be the same, and I need to go out there and prove to them that I'm just as good as I, w- I was before. He is a motivated guy, so physically, will it be there? That's to be determined. But mentally, if he's getting after it every day, grinding with a, mis- a mission to mm-hmm. prove people wrong and to come back and be an impact player again, let's see it. 
there are select few players in the league that can take the game in their own hands, uh, for lack of a better term, put the game on their shoulders. Randy, do we need to go shoulders? <laughs> like Vladdy can. <laughs> Shoulder. Shoulder, yeah. Let's not put any, any pressure, <laughs> no, no extra on, pressure <laughs> on that one. But Vladdy, a healthy Vladimir Tarasenko can be that guy. He, he can score a couple of goals. You get a great performance out of your goaler. Bennington, you win a game two to one simply because you have Vladimir Tarasenko on your team. All roads lead to hardware. There you go. That's what it's going to be. Coming up, we've got the fight coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Character. Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. You know what time it is. It's that time in the show where Randy and one of our listeners face off in a sports trivia competition. It's the fight. And Brendan is Randy's challenger today. Good morning, Brendan. How's your day so far? So far, so good, Michelle. How are you? Awesome. I'm great. So I hear that you may be into sports trivia as is someone in your family. Is that correct? That is correct. My uh, my son Charlie was in the Scholar Bowl yesterday for his school, and he he buzzed in for all the sports questions, and he got everyone right, but just one of the questions. So I was really proud of him. Awesome! Shout out to Charlie. Do you remember what question it was that he got wrong? He he got wrong. This team appeared in the World Series four times in the 1970s. Um, which team was it? And uh, because he didn't know, he guessed the Cardinals, but the answer was the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, they only beat the Boston Red Sox. Oh, interesting. Well, I don't blame him for getting that one wrong. That's beyond his time. <laughs> how could how could Charlie be expected to exactly. know that, right? Exactly. Well, Brendan, let's see if you are as good at trivia today as Charlie was yesterday. I hope so. I hope so, too. Good luck to you. Question number Thank one. You. What is Tiger Woods' real first name? Is it Tiger? Earl. Earl. That's your final? You don't want the, all the options? You want to go with Earl? He's a junior, Earl Woods Jr. Okay. In January 1991, what Blues defenseman scored a goal in his return to action after having the tip of his left index finger blasted off by a Doug Wilson slap shot in a game after... Sh- I'm sorry. Let me let me restart that. Mm-hmm. In, in January 1991, what Blues defenseman scored a goal in his return to action after having the tip of his left index finger blasted off by a Doug Wilson slap shot in a game against Chicago a month earlier. Was hmm. it Paul Cavallini, Jeff Brown, or Garth Butcher? It's either Jeff Brown or Garth Butcher because Cavallini was a winger. Uh, 1991. Uh, on a guess, I'll say Jeff Brown. Brendan, who was Scott Rowland traded with to the St. Louis Cardinals in 2002? Was it Doug Nickel, Brendan Ryan, or David Eckstein? Hmm. I'll say uh, Doug Nichols. And what Blues center was named MVP of the 1974 All-Star Game? Was it Wayne Merrick, Bernie Federko, or Gary Unger? Um, I'll go with Wayne Merrick. Okay, we're checking score here. Randy is getting back into the studio. Now, Brendan, if you don't yes. beat Randy, 
is this going to be some sort of a bragging rights deal in your house <laughs> where Charlie is going to have this over you that he's better at sports trivia than you are? I, I think it might. I, whatever, he asks, whatever he asks me that question, I say, well, I know the answer to that. What did you say? So I, so I know. I knew it right away whenever he asked me the question he got wrong. So, oh, But probably he'll have, he'll have bragging rights over me, that's for sure. So, okay, so. But I think, he, I think he's listening right now also, so hopefully I don't get embarrassed. Well, Charlie, again, for listening. But a lot on the line today, Randy. Please say hello to Brendan. Brendan, great to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. How are you doing this morning? I'm well, sir. Thank you. I, uh, we've got Jeremy Macklin as a head coach at Kirkwood, so I couldn't be more excited, that's- sir pretty awesome i love yeah, that it is. that's great uh just to give you some background randy brendan's son charlie was in a trivia competition yesterday and got all the sports questions correct except for one good job charlie good job to charlie but now there's bragging rights on the line on the, here. Line. On yep. the line question number one for you randy what mm-hmm. is tiger wood's real first name eldrick in January 1991, what Blues defenseman scored a goal in his return to action after having the tip of his left index finger blasted off by a Doug Wilson slap shot in a game against Chicago a month earlier? Paul Cavallini. Randy, who was Scott Rowland traded with to the St. Louis Cardinals in 2002? Who did the Cardinals get? They gave up Polanco and Smith and somebody else. Who did they? It's a pitcher. I don't remember his name, but I'll do the lifeline. Is it Doug Nickel, Brendan and what blue center was named MVP of the 1974 All-Star Game? I'm going to uh, say that the only logical choice here would be Gary Unger. Whew, wow. Well, Emily, ring the bell. This was not even close. Go crazy! We have a winner and still champion, Randy Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs. You heard a little bit of Jack Buck's voice there. Randy got all four correct, Brendan. I'm sorry. He was locked in today. He could not be stopped. It sounds like it. He got all four correct. You got one right, though, which is good, better than I would have done. Uh, I would have known this one, though. Question number one. Tiger Woods' real first name is Eldrick. Eldrick Tiger Woods. That's the answer. It was Paul Cavallini. He was the Blues defenseman that scored a goal in his return to action after having the tip of his left index finger blasted off by a Doug Wilson slap shot. He had to take it out of his glove. Oh. <laughs> Not great. Do you think they had to shake it out? You know, like shake know. the glove and we'll have, have it fall pa- out? Paul still lives here in time. We'll oh, have to get him man. on. Gosh, that hurts my hand even thinking about it. Scott Rowland was traded with Doug Nickel to the St. Louis Cardinals back in 2002. And Gary Unker, Unger was named MVP of the 1974 All-Star Game. Brendan, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for playing. And tell Charlie we said keep it up. Well, will do. Thanks, guys. And congratulations on uh, Jeremy Macklin being the head coach of Kirkwood, too. So many former Mizzou players that played un- under Gary Pinkle are head coaches in the area now. It's pretty cool, and, and not just here in the area, but around the country. So it's, it's pretty cool to see the impact that Gary Pinkle had on those players and trying to get them into coaching. Absolutely, and I know that when we had Coach Pinkle on, he talked about keeping in touch with a lot of his mm-hmm. former players, and I'm sure that he's very proud to see them go on and not only have successful NFL careers, but to follow in his footsteps as a coach yeah michelle i was uh, after we finished the show yesterday i went over to the uh, worldwide technology raceway and mm-hmm. what they've done to the facility is pretty awesome and they're always trying to enhance what they've got going and what they've got going now is de- a development program for young people to become indianapolis 500 champions and 
It's pretty cool. They've got their little, uh, it's not little, it, it's pretty cool. A, a, a gentleman by the name of Keith Sharp runs the uh, go-kart track over there, the Cartplex. But they introduced a couple of young racers, Spike Kolbecker from Kirkwood and Evan Stamer from Glen Carbon, who both are going to be started on the track towards racing in the Indy 500. They're both teenagers, and they're go- both going to be participating over at Gateway International Raceway. And I wanted to give a, a shout-out, really nice kids, I shouldn't say kids, young men, mm-hmm. Spike and, and Evan, and uh, Gateway International Raceway, not formerly Gateway International Raceway, now uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway, home of the Bomberito Automotive Group 500. They're doing great work over there, and now they're building a farm system. How cool is that? Yeah. And so we might see a St. Louis person soon winning the Indy 500 because of the development over at Worldwide Technology Raceway. There you go. St. Louis, you're home for racing. Yeah. Learn more about (laughs) it, by the way. Go to their website and you can see these young people race and uh, start start on the track towards participating in the Indy 500. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and Bob Herrig from ESPN.com will give us the latest on Tiger Woods. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker with you, and nobody does a better job of covering golf than ESPN.com's Bob Herrig, and he has been extremely busy, as you might imagine, over the last uh, 20 hours or so. Well, with the Tiger, but Bob, sorry, Bob, kind enough to join us for a few minutes here in St. Louis on 101 ESPN, and Bob, I want to start by saying this. Thank you very, very much, because I know that you were up late last night. If you got any sleep at all, you didn't get much, so we really do appreciate you taking the time. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Bob, can you give us the latest information that you have on Tiger's condition? Yeah, it's basically what, um, you know, what his team reported at, uh, you know, actually about midnight your time last night, uh, which would have been 10 o'clock Pacific time after a long, long day, uh, obviously, you know, the surgery and everything. You know, it sounds like, uh, obviously, it's pretty serious. I mean, Clearly, he, um, you know, he's he's probably fortunate to be alive. Uh, and there's a horrific accident, but uh, in terms of the actual injuries, you know, there's some severe ones to his certainly his right leg. Uh, that's what the doctor at the Harbor UCLA Medical Center said that, uh, you know, that, that that he had multiple open fractures in his lower right leg. And he needed needed to have a rod placed in his tibia and screws and pins inserted in his foot and ankle. Um, You know, that's, uh, you know, certainly not a doctor, but I I think we all could could agree that that's something that's going to take some time for him to work through. And the others, you know, the statement didn't mention they had originally reported that there were some issues with his left leg. Um, He also was rehabbing a a uh, lower back procedure from December. You wonder if it had any impact on that. Uh, so it's, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tough one here. And when you see those photos of the, of the car on its side, um, I guess the good thing to take out of it is that, you know, they did say he was responsive after the surgery. He was aware 
and uh, you know those are those are good signs going forward. And Bob, we're people that cover sports, and one of the things that we wonder in a situation like this, once you get to the point where they they say, okay, non-life-threatening injuries, a lot of us as sports fans wonder about playing, but then you you read and you hear about the severity of these injuries, and from a human perspective, you have to hope that Tiger's able to take walks with his kids, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when he had the uh, uh, the spinal fusion surgery in 2017, uh, you know, there was a thought that that was a career-ending procedure. There was no guarantee he was going to come back from that. And, and obviously, look at what he did. But, but um, many, many times he has said, you know, the first goal was to have a quality of life. You know, he was in such pain that, uh, um, you know, that uh, uh, he wondered if he could live comfortably, forget about the golf, the golf became a bonus. And I think that's the way we have to look at this going forward. You know, it's, it's first going to be about getting back to life, getting back to living properly, being able to function. You know, I just, I just cringe at the thought that, you know, he's not going to be able to play golf with his son this summer. That is something that they had, you know, really ramped up last year, which is why his son Charlie became pretty darn good. And that's going to be missing, you know, and, and obviously he's going to want to get back to that. Um, the actual competitive golf seems like such a, it's, it, it's just you know, almost impossible to wrap your arms around where that stands. I mean, if that's even possible, uh, you know, I, I think we need to learn so much more. I mean, if there's any chance Certainly, Tiger's got that mental makeup to want to make it happen. But he's also 45 years old. He's at a point in where it was becoming difficult for him to compete anyway. And, uh, you know, now you're, you add this in on top of everything else, and you're looking at being 46 next year. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's quite the challenge. And, uh, you know, I, I, guess, I guess the way I would frame that is, is, Let's hope we have that to talk about. Right. And, Bob, I've been mentioning all morning, even if you don't swing a club, walking 18 holes of a golf course four days in a row is difficult in and of itself for a guy that's 45, 46 years old that before the crash, he, he the things that he had endured. So uh, I, I just wonder if that part of it, just being able to walk a course four days in a row is something that's going to be doable for him. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, you know, walking has not been the easiest thing for him to do with the back problems, walking that much. You know, it, uh, it, it, it takes its toll. Anybody who plays golf and doesn't ride a golf cart will we'll talk about the, the lower back getting stiff towards the end of a round. Well, now throw in, throw in the, the leg issue. Listen, I don't want to compare it. It's, it's different, but, you know, Ben Hogan in the, in the late 1940s, a famous golfer had a horrific car crash. His car hit a bus, and he was hospitalized for a long time. It took him more than a year to come back, and he had a remarkable comeback. But he, he played limited after that, very limited, because the pain was too much for, for the walking. And he was much younger. I mean, he was probably, well, not much, but you know, around late 30s at that time, 40-ish and he, he ended up winning majors into his 40s. But, but uh, you know, it, it, it clearly cur- uh, curbed, uh, his, curtailed his career. 
and, you know, Tiger's probably going to face the same thing it, it, if we can even get back to that point. Bob, if this is, in fact, the end of Tiger Woods' golf career, what does that mean for golf? Because even when he was battling back from injuries or had another surgery, even if he wasn't competing in a major, Tiger Woods was still a storyline. The story of his recovery and return and quest for for more wins was always a storyline. And while there are stars in golf, no one quite has the transcendent star power of Tiger Woods. So if this is, in fact, the end, what does it mean for golf? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the game has been sort of agonizing over moving on from Tiger for six to eight years, frankly. You know, there's been this this thought of, you know, there needs to be uh, – you need to build an audience beyond Tiger. And that's easier said than done because he's just such a transformational figure. Um, guys like him don't come along. Uh but once a generation or so. I mean, there's a lot of great young players in golf. You know, Roy McIlroy, Bryson DeChambeau, uh, Ricky Fowler, uh, Jordan Spieth, uh, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson. You know, these guys all have great stories. They're interesting. Uh, there's there's, there's a great things within the sport. But, I mean, it's asking a lot of them to step in and fill the void that Tiger has uh, carried here for so many years. The one thing I would say is that really for the last six years, Tiger has been very limited on the scene, despite what you say about how we, he's still there in terms of what we talk about him. But I mean, he basically went 2016 and 2017 without playing. He didn't play much last year. And, you know, and the game does fine. It's just that when he's around, it just sends it through the stratosphere. It makes it, brings it to a different level. So, um, it's uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a difficult one that the game faces, but you know it's it's dealt with that before with other stars, Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, Greg Norman, uh, Nick Faldo. It's always managed to survive just fine. It's just that you're talking about a guy who you know actually transcended golf, you know, and sports. He was popular beyond the sport. And Bob, with with that being the case. Uh, if we presume that this transcendent guy is not going to play anymore, and, hey, he's fooled us before. We saw him here in St. Louis at the PGA uh, three years ago, and it was unbelievable, and then we saw him win the Masters. But it it seems like this would be difficult to come back from. I, I want to get your perspective as somebody who knows the sport intimately, because a lot of people yesterday were saying, greatest golfer ever, and I tend to fall on that side. But Jack Nicklaus is still there with the 18. Who's the best golfer ever? Yeah, well, listen, I could argue either side. You know, like if you put me in a debate class and asked me to argue one, I could argue either one very easily. Jack has the most majors. There's, you know, there's no, there's no questioning that. If you want to go by majors, majors is it, right? He's got more. He's got three more than Tiger. He had 19 seconds in majors, which is incredible to think that he could have probably won 25. If you want to argue Tiger, you know, Tiger has uh, – Nine more PGA Tour wins. He teamed with 80 World Golf Championship events, a, a tournament uh, concept that didn't, that didn't exist in Jack's day. Uh, but still, it's, they're, they're kind of like the next best thing to a major. And I think you can argue that Tiger played in tougher competition. You know, the game has gotten deeper and stronger over the years. It's getting it's deeper and stronger now than it was when Tiger was 
dominating at his best 20 years ago. So I think there's an argument to be made that Tiger's the best ever. I mean, if you don't just go by majors, I mean, winning 82 PGA Tour events, you know, there were more players winning more tournaments than Jack's day. You know, Billy Casper won 50, Arnold Palmer won 64, Hogan, who was before him, uh, actually, I think Hogan won 64, Palmer won 62. Uh, you, you know, uh, there were there were guys that won a lot of tournaments back then. In other words, that, that suggests there were less top guys than there are now. Nowadays, Dustin Johnson winning 24 PGA Tour events is incredible. You know, and I mean, anybody getting to 30 would be amazing. Phil Mickelson is 44. So, uh, you know, uh, VJ Singh, who's 58 years old now and really hasn't been competitive on the PGA Tour for a decade, uh, you know, won 34. Just not that many guys winning more than 30, and he won, he's won 82. Yeah, right. You know, so you can, I think you can argue either side of that. I, I, for me, it's hard to choose, but I, you know, I, I, I'm, I certainly don't have any issues with either side of that. Well, and as you told us, Bob, and as we've heard, he's lucky to be alive. Thank goodness these aren't life-threatening injuries for Tiger Woods, and we'll still be able to see him, at least if he's not playing at the Masters and other tournaments, he can still be a a part of our lives when he comes back and he's at least uh, available to get out in public again. Hey, great work on this story. I know it's not an easy story to cover, but you uh, have done an amazing job. And again, we thank you for your time this morning. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good day. You too, Bob. Take care. Bob Herrig, ESPN.com on 101 ESPN. He's right. One of the first things Bob said is when you saw the pictures of the vehicle, I think it took our our collective breaths away. He's very lucky to be alive and to have non-life-threatening injuries because if you look at that vehicle, Yeah. And by the way, coherent enough with the vehicle on his side, and he had his seatbelt on, to be honking the horn to try to get people's attention. Yeah. So uh, he wasn't, as they said, he was conscious, but he wasn't incoherent either. They said that he might have been in shock, yeah. but at least he had the, the faculties to be able to honk the horn and try to get somebody's attention. Absolutely. So, so thanks to Bob Herrig, and you can read their great work at ESPN.com about this entire story. Next up... Harrison Bader thinks the Cardinals outfield defensively can be one of the best in baseball. We'll tell you what we think next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We know that behind the plate, the Cardinals are capable of winning a gold glove. We know that on the infield, they have three guys that have been in the hunt, and we don't know what Tommy Edmond is going to be, but we know Arenado. He's won a gold glove every year. He's played Major League Baseball. Yep. We know that Paul DeYoung, who, at least according to the metrics, is one of the best defensive shortstops in the league, mm-hmm. and Paul Goldschmidt, all capable of winning gold gloves. Tyler O'Neill won one last year. We know Harrison Bader is at that level. Dylan Carlson has been regarded as a superb defensive outfielder. Michelle, this has a chance to be, if they can reach their potential, a really... I won't even say really strong. I'll say an exceptional defensive team. Exceptional is a good word for it. Absolutely. And I'm sure that that's one of the things that the Cardinals are looking at when they're looking at this outfield coming together is how sound they can be defensively. Now, we know that the capabilities are there defensively. It's offensively that I'm more concerned about. (laughs) Yesterday, Harrison Bader was asked about the run suppression of the outfield of himself in center with Tyler O'Neill in left and Dylan Carlson Carlson in right. 
Yeah, but I think we could be really, really successful. And, and the gold glove thing, it's more of just like a standard, you know? It's a standard of, of how you go about your craft in the outfield. It's a standard of how you go about your preparation. It's a standard of how you go about everything in the middle. You know, this game is, there's no secret to success. A lot of it is repetition. Um, so going out there, keeping a really good routine, you know, on defense, that gold glove standard, that platinum standard, guys, you know, Arenado's won a bunch. Yachty's obviously won a bunch. It's it's more about the standard of what it means to, to go about there and go about your business and your craft. And, uh, you know, that's a standard I'm shooting for. And I know that this defense is capable of winning a bunch. So when you kind of pair all three of our ability we're all on the same page. I mean, we're out here working on the little things, little separators, the communication, the one guy moving in, one guy has his back, moving as a unit out there, getting in the habit of uh, working between pitches with each other, you know, voicing, you know, the winds picking up, just little, little separators that ultimately could turn out to be the difference of a ball game or two. So, you know, those are the things we're, uh, we're really just taking a, a big focus on. And I, I just, I can't wait to see it all play out, man. We're, we're, we're kind of just getting ready to go out there and just again, win as many games as possible. And as he, as he was talking about the defense and he mentioned towards the end there, could be the difference in a game or two. That could be the difference in winning a division or not. And they're going to need that. If the if we don't see the offense start to pick yep. up, at least early on, he's right. The defense on this team could be the difference in winning or losing games. But I also loved what he said about there's no secret to success. It's just repetition mm-hmm. a lot of times. And it's them being excited to get out there and work on those little things day in and day out. And we, talk, we talked about this with Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, with Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina. When the leaders on your team are guys that are working the hardest and you have a young outfield that's trying to come together and they they're also having that mentality of our secret to success isn't a secret. It's hard work and repetition. I think that's going to bode well for the Cardinals. And Michelle, here's a guy heading into his fifth year, and he looks like he's 22 still. Mm-hmm. And he's by far the elder statesman in the Cardinals outfield. Yeah, think about that, that Harrison Bader is the elder statesman in the Cardinal outfield. And he wants to push guys, and he wants everybody to push each other. Yeah, it's been great. Um, you know, we have a we have a group chat. Um we don't have a Cardinals outfielder specific group chat yet, though, so maybe that might be in the works. But um, no, I mean, again, it's just it, this organization. I mean, I've been a part of it now. This is well, my fifth, you know, going on my fifth season in the big leagues. But even before that, a couple seasons beneath it. I mean, you know, in the, in the lower levels. I mean, there's just a there's just a standard roll into the stadium every day. There's just an energy walking through the doors and an expectation that everybody just feels you know when you're approaching a locker room i mean it just it's just the truth it is what it is it's just you can't can't fake it you can't you can't pretend it's you know pretend it's there or pretend it's not there it just it just is and the level of focus this group has specifically the outfielders but just everywhere um it's just awesome and coming to work every day is just awesome so um you know we got we just got to get our legs under us we're going to keep doing our reps but you know before we know we're preparing for game one and we'll be right where we need to be That's the energy that goes with putting on that uniform, what Harrison Bader just described. And countless Cardinals, former, current, young guys, veteran guys, it doesn't really matter. They all talk about that. And that is something that you cannot manufacture and that it's incredible that the Cardinals have been able to sustain, that Mm -hmm. it's been able to go through from one generation of Cardinal players to another. And I think a lot has to do with the history of the organization. A lot has to do with the fanatic nature of the fans. There's always going to be that pressure to win. But that does permeate through to the players, that they understand whether it's walking into 
spring training day one or to a postseason game that that energy and that that standard that is being set is important for them to live up to and to carry on. And especially for that group because early in free agency, a lot of people, heck, at this station, let alone St. Louis and Cardinal Nation, wanted the Cardinals to go out and pursue George Springer. They mm-hmm. didn't. We talked talked about getting a left-handed bat. Oh, let's go get Jock Peterson. Cardinals didn't. David Dahl gets non-tendered. Let's go get a left-handed bat in David Dahl. Cardinals didn't. That didn't show any interest in those guys. And that's something that Bader and his fellow outfield mates have recognized. Yeah, I mean, it means a lot. You know, I mean, we, you know, Matt Wieters, he, he had a really good quote. It's always stuck with me. And he's always said, you know, does confidence get you hits or do hits get you confidence? And when I think about that, you know, in my opinion, it comes from within. And, you know, it comes from how you wake up in the morning, how you go to sleep, how you go and prepare, how you get ready to go out there and compete. Um, so when, when you have that piece of yourself confident and then you kind of add that organizational piece where they say, listen, we're, we're confident in what we got. You know, we're, we're ready to go out there and, and win a World Series with this club. I mean, I can't imagine feeling any better. So, you know, with that said, it gives a lot of people confidence, gives me confidence. Um, Listen, man, a large part of this game is definitely mental. So, um, you know, a lot of dudes on this team are very physically talented. um, And those separators are those little pieces. And, you know, this might be just that. So everyone's going to go out there and and do their job. I'm going to compete on all sides of the ball. And we're going to win a lot of baseball games. I sure hope the confidence gives them hits. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because he's got a lot of confidence. He does. So if confidence gives you hits... Buckle up, because we're in for an explosive season from Harrison Bader from this Cardinals outfield. But what do you think? That's a great question and a great quote. Do you think confidence gives you hits, or do you think hits give you confidence? I think hits give you confidence. I think that, for example, when Albert Pujols came up, yeah, he, he was feeling pretty good about himself because of the spring that he'd had, but he'd never played in a major league game. And once he got hits, then, oh, I can do this. Mm-hmm. But... You don't know if you can do it until you do it. That's the big thing. Well, and I think about someone like Dylan Carlson, who struggled a little bit when he started with the Cardinals, went back down, came up, and we saw him start to have that success, and then it grows. And that's what I think is the most exciting part about this outfield, is it is a collection of young guys with a lot of potential. Now, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, we've we've seen a sample size out of them. You know, they're a little bit more on notice than some of the other guys, like a Dylan Carlson, for example. But I think... If you listen to everything that they're saying, they probably feel they already feel that that certain level of of pressure, for lack of a better term, within them to perform individually. But when you're a part of a club that has a certain standard and then they go out and they make a move like acquiring a Nolan Arenado. okay, now it's really up to us to deliver. And I would imagine if I'm someone like him who has an agent and who has eyes and ears and who knows that I potentially could have been shopped around and the Cardinals believe enough in me to keep me on this roster and be a part of a team that they believe can go for it. Okay, let's go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would hope that the players respond to that. You would hope so. Now, one thing that I, I found interesting here and Fans and players look at moves differently. When the Cardinals traded uh, Dexter Fowler to the Angels, we said, oh, okay, they got rid of a guy, uh, and they're giving up some money. They, they, they got rid of a guy. But it's a bigger deal in a clubhouse, and it's not just a guy. It's a friend. It's a teammate. It's somebody that you've gone to war with. And Harrison Bader was asked about the Cardinals moving Dexter Fowler to Anaheim. You know, you mentioned him being a part of my career since I kind of made my debut in 17. Obviously, he was here. He's always been a 
a positive influence in my career on and off the field. He's always had my back. He's always taken time to, to go out of his way to, to give me any piece of information, whether it was related to baseball or not. You know, it, it's really nice to be able to lean on guys at times um, who, who do have a lot of experience, who have felt what you have felt, again, whether it be on the field or off the field. So he's always been a great friend of mine. I'll always keep in touch. But yeah, when I saw the move, you know, I, I guess it's a, you know, it's a, it's a business. You know, I know that there was, you know, some motives behind it, which, you know, I, I understand, or, but I also, you know, it is what it is to me. You know, I, I have a job to do. I have, I have things to prepare for, and I'm going to go out there and just do my absolute best to be, you know, what Dex was to me, to be to some younger guys. And it doesn't really take a lot. It's just a matter of just staying locked in, staying present, and just being there for your teammates, just like Dex was for me. So I plan on, on acting that way because the guy who just exited, you know, this organization acted that way the entire time. We've talked about that a lot, about how great of a clubhouse it is from that regard, from veteran guys being open and willing to help younger players, whether it's from an instruction standpoint or an advice standpoint on how to deal with things off the field, because it can't be easy to be a young player thrust into this environment and have to learn on the fly. So to have that relationship with veteran players who are willing to be a mentor to you is huge. And then you do want to pay it forward. And I think that is, you see that in a lot of clubhouses, but that's part of the reason that the Cardinals have been able to have this consistent identity and have this consistent standard it's because it's been passed on from guy to guy so to hear Harrison Bader say that Dexter Fowler was a part of that and that that was an experience that resonated with him and now he's going to turn around and be that to somebody else is great and to circle back to that standard and the organization clearly has standards but I'm going to have to go back a long time Michelle to find a time with the Cardinals where I can say I wouldn't be surprised if any of their eight position players in the next couple of years would win a gold glove. I think it's too early for Carlson because Mm -hmm. he's got to show himself. But by the end of 2022, I wouldn't be surprised if any Cardinal player, including Tommy Edmond, would win a position player that we just talked about. Yeah. If you, well, Tyler O'Neill, check. Harrison Bader, certainly capable in that conversation. You removed Carlson. We know both corners. Check, yep. check. Uh, Paul DeYoung, you mentioned. Tommy Edmond, you said he would not be surprised. Yadier Molina. Yeah, okay. Isn't that amazing? That is incredible. Not many teams can say that. No, they cannot. And that's with Colton Wong not being with right. the team anymore either. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, it's time for... You're killing me, Smalls. By the way, brought to you by, as you heard, BMW of West St. Louis. Shout out to BMW of West St. Louis. We love them. We absolutely do. Go get a vehicle there. Randy, we have been talking a lot about the quarterback carousel. Dominoes have been falling, but one of them that still remained with a question mark was the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger. Was this the end of the road for Big Ben? Are the Steelers going to move on from him? What are the financial implications if he does or doesn't? We've talked about this a lot. Well, we're getting a little bit of clarity on that situation. The Steelers do want Big Ben back, and he wants to return to the team as well. Their team president, Art Rooney II, announced, uh, he acknowledged through a statement that there was a mutual desire between the two parties. And here's what the statement says. Ben Roethlisberger and I met yesterday committed to coming back to help us win, and I told Ben that we would like to have him back to help us win a championship. We both understand the next step is to work out Ben's contract situation. Which I believe they can reduce to, if it's either 27 or $22 million. That can be like his minimum cap number. But even with that being the case, 
The Steelers have not used a premium draft choice on a quarterback since they took Ben in 2004. Sure, they took Landry Jones in the fourth round, and they took Joshua Dobbs, and they took Mason Rudolph, but nobody above the third round. And I believe this is the year that they have to use a first or second rounder to get that quarterback to eventually replace Roethlisberger. We have some intel about Dwayne Haskins that nobody else has because they signed him. Uh, From a contract perspective that you were mentioning, it's the final year of Big Ben's deal. It comes with a $41.2 million cap hit, although if they restructure that and add that extension, it could lower it by about $14 million. So, yeah, get it down to 27. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I, I wonder what he's going to be for them this year. He was pretty good for 11 games. I think they need to pace him. It, it might be a good idea if, if they're really good to give him, if they're way ahead, a fourth quarter off here or there, limit his practice time. He doesn't need to practice because he was worn out by the end of the year. It didn't look like he could play anymore in that playoff game. Yeah, I would preserve him as much as possible mm-hmm. from a practice and conditioning standpoint. But it's interesting. He's going to be the last guy of that 2004 class. It was Rivers and Manning and Roethlisberger. He'll be the last man standing. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Especially with the way that he plays, how tough he plays. That's incredible that he's been this durable. No doubt. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, a quarterback that wasn't expected to come back and play is Alex Smith. And he did an interview with GQ Magazine where he reveals that his comeback threw a wrench into the Washington football team's plan for the future and that he didn't necessarily feel wanted by them this past summer. Here's the quote. They didn't see it. They didn't want me there. Didn't want me to be a part of it. Didn't want me to be on the team. The roster didn't want to give me a chance. Mind you, it was a whole new regime. They came in. I'm like the leftovers and I'm hurt and I'm this liability. But heck no, they didn't want me there. At that point, as you can imagine, everything I've been through, I couldn't have cared less about all that. Whether you like it or not, I'm giving it a go at this point. I have to think that if I'm in the exact same situation as Ron Rivera and Scott Turner, their offensive coordinator, and this guy's showing up in my quarterback room, I'm kind of thinking, why is this guy here? He's never going to play again. (laughs) Right. So I don't blame the Washington football team for having that attitude. And it probably worked, I would think, to Alex Smith's advantage that they gave him something to prove. He he was saying, to heck with these guys. I'm going to show them. Right. As if he didn't have enough motivation already. But from everything we've heard about Alex Smith, that he's been a great mentor to other quarterbacks. He's a great teammate. So even if he was someone that you didn't, anticipate counting on from a football perspective I would certainly want him around my organization I would want to make him feel wanted and whether he could play or not that's icing on the cake at that point I wonder how much of that is Michael Jordan chip on the shoulder stuff though and then I took it personally yeah yeah maybe but people are wondering about his future with the Washington football team and you know if these quotes to GQ these are pretty pointed quotes if this somehow calls into question what his future is going to be they said they're open to retaining him and potentially building up more of an offense but he has a 24.4 million dollar cap hit Washington saves 13.8 million dollars that they release him I don't know if and it's because of what happened If I'm another team, I don't think I sign him as a backup. I just don't have confidence in that leg. I'm worried every time he gets hit. Yeah, what we saw out of him this past season was incredible. And it was very inspiring. And he played well. Yeah, he did. A lot of times. But I certainly wouldn't feel great about giving, putting money down on that bet. And he missed their playoff game because of an issue with the calf in that leg. That's right. He says he's got more left. Part of the rest of the GQ interview was him saying that he's got more left. But of course, he's going to say that. Of course, Mm -hmm. that 
we we talk about this a lot. That mentality of athletes to say, I can do it. I am the greatest. It doesn't matter what obstacles are put in front of me. It doesn't matter how old I am. I'm able to continue. Of course, he's going to say that, but it'll be interesting to see what the Washington football team does. And I do think this, even though I would be worried about him, he is one of the 64 best quarterbacks in the world. He's definitely worthy of having at least a backup job on an NFL team. Would you rather roll the dice with Alex Smith or with Cam Newton? That's a great question. Thank I, you. I know. I, I would so probably too. go Cam simply because he can run, and I know that if he gets hit, he's going to be able to get back up. I might, I might go with Alex Smith. I might go because what we saw of Cam this past season, not great. I know it was a lot like what we saw with Brady in his last year there Ooh. with no weapons. So you think it's more, uh, you think the interceptions and the play is more about the team around him rather than an indictment on Cam yeah. as a player. I don't think Cam is what he was five years ago, but I don't think he's as bad as he looked because they had the same weapons that they that caused Brady to leave. They, there's nobody there to throw to. Well, that was part of the reason he left, but yeah, he also right. he also wanted more of a say control, in things. Yeah, yeah and more money, control but and money. Ultimately, the reason that he couldn't win any more Super Bowls there is because they didn't have the players around him to win more Super Bowls. Right. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, if Alex Smith does, in fact, return to the Washington football team, I wonder who the owner of that team would be. Mm. Because there was a report yesterday, Randy, that Jeff Bezos, yes, of Amazon Fortune, has been interested in the NFL and owning a team for some time, and that he may be eyeing up owning the Washington football team. We know that Dan Snyder has not been a great owner for that organization, and that some of the minority shareholders want him out. They threaten to sell their stakes to potentially have him force his hand in some way and that those could be eyeing a way to get a hold of that franchise. I thought it was very interesting that on the same day that story came out, the story came out that they're going to maintain that name for the next year, next season, and not rename the team until 2022. And I wonder if they're waiting for a new owner, Bezos, Mm -hmm. to be in place to approve of a new nickname for the team. The Primes? Oh, that'd be good. That'd be really good. The Primes. Yeah, Amazon Prime. I wonder, though, I guess they, I guess the other owners wouldn't mind having a guy richer than all of them as an owner. There, there's not that much ego there, is there? Ooh, I don't know. We are t- How would Jerry feel about this? Jerry. Even though Jerry did increase his wealth due to the snowstorms and the suffering in Texas. He did. So he's yeah. a little bit richer today, which is unfortunate. But there was a lot of ego there. And he, 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 Jeff Bezos walks in that room and you better pay attention to what he has to say. But if you're Roger Goodell and you could have the guy that started Amazon and made all that money and have his ideas in your group, in your ownership group, you take that. I, I would take it all day, every day. He's running the world right now, yeah, essentially. So I would think that the NFL would want to bring in power like that, even if it bruises a few egos. I did tell you that I recently made an order from Amazon. I ordered a chicken and an egg. I'll tell you what happens. <laughs> yeah, let me know about that one. <laughs> did you order both on Prime and both on the same day? Yeah. All right. Well, so we'll see which comes first. Coming, coming up, Dan O'Dowd of MLB Network on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. 
That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and we head right to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And standing by is MLB Network's Dan O'Dowd, former general manager of the Colorado Rockies. And we always like talking to Dan. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Hey, Randy. Hey, Michelle. Uh, thanks, thanks, guys, for having me on. We, we really appreciate you taking some time with us. And actually, on the night that the Cardinals acquired Nolan Arenado, we wanted to get you on because we wanted to get your take on what the Cardinals have in their new number 28. Well, I think one of the more underrated facets of Nolan's game, I mean, we know he's an elite defender. Um, offensively, he's one of the more productive middle lineup bats in the game. But, you know, the thing about Nolan, I think, that goes under – valued is his durability um i mean last year he played through an injury in a in a pandemic shortened season but for the most part in nolan's career he shows up to the post every single day and just like uh, paul his counterpart across the diamond those guys are getting harder and harder to find in our game and it's the consistency and the resiliency i think that they add day in and day out that really helps create uh, kind of a collective mindset for your team and I think Nolan really adds some value to that. Cardinals already had it, but they have it even more now with Nolan. Dan, we've analyzed this move from the Cardinals' perspective a lot, but you provide not only a front office insight for us, but a Rockies insight. And I'm very sure. curious about how this entire thing goes down. So when Nolan Arenado, who's a guy that the Rockies commit to financially, and he he's coming out publicly saying, I'm unhappy I'm paraphrasing, but I'm unhappy. I want to be a part of a winner, and I don't think it's going to happen here. From a front office perspective, what's the move next? Do you try to build around him, even if financially it's it's not super feasible for you? Do you try to mend that bridge? Or are you in a situation where he's kind of forced your hand and you need to move on from him at that point? Uh, you know, Michelle, that's a great question. And though I've been removed from the Rockies now, going on six years, you know, as part of drafting and developing Nolan and um, feel like I've got pretty good insight into him. And uh, the whole thing has been really perplexing for me. I wish there was an easy answer to your situation that uh, whoever the GM of any club is, they have to be the adult in the room. And even if it's um, at times difficult to do that, you always have, there's three roads to take and it's the low road, the God road, God road. And you always need to take the God road because you need to do the right thing. Cause when you do the right thing, you'll always do the next right thing. Right. But where the whole thing for me, uh, the jigsaw puzzle I can't seem to put together is that the Rockies committed to Nolan in 2018, uh, an enormous contract. When you commit those kind of contracts, you know, you're basically stating we're going to build around this player. Um, And then in that same year, at the conclusion of 2018, you're now having discussions with the Cardinals and the Cubs and the Braves about potentially moving him. So I don't know what happened in that six months that would ever put the situation into a position where it wasn't salvageable. And I'm totally perplexed by that. Then I'm perplexed that uh, Nolan, um, I guess, ended up with an out in his contract. I don't exactly know how that took place, but at the conclusion of this year, I believe he still had $165 million left. And so unless I was getting back exactly what I wanted, and maybe the Rockies did, I don't know in their evaluations, maybe they got players back that they felt equaled his value. No matter what the personal situation was, if I didn't, if I didn't feel like I was helping the organization in some capacity, long-term or short-term, I would say, listen, Nolan, you know, I understand how you feel. I've tried to mend this fence. You know, I've done everything I possibly can. 
Um, but, you know, we're not going to trade you. And at the end of this year, if you want to walk away, that's totally your choice. Now, the player then is in a position, you know, with uh, the end of the CBA coming up, making a decision, do I want to walk away from 160-some million and run the risk that I can get that on the open market? And if he does, then I'm going to be comfortable taking the draft picks. So, I, honestly, I, I don't know how this whole thing adds up to me. MLB Network's Dan O'Dowd with us. I, I have tried to imagine that meeting, maybe a Zoom meeting where Breidich and Monfort are together, and he, they say, yeah, we, we got we to gotta move Nolan. And Breidich says, yeah, and we're probably not going to get an awful lot back. And then at the end of the meeting, anything else? Oh, yeah, we got to give them $50 million too. <laughs> yeah, well, then, obviously, honestly, Randy, in that discussion, they have to feel really good about the four players you know, that they're getting back. And, you know, throughout my career, you know, I've, I've traded some really great players. And um, I've also proposed some really great deals in my mind that we didn't do that maybe didn't, wouldn't have turned out, honestly, to be really great deals. And I think we have a tendency in these deals to justify in our own minds the reasons for doing it. But in reality is you never get back a superstar uh, when you're trading a superstar. That's just if you look at the historical deals we've made in the game. I was very fortunate to trade Matt Holiday, who I thought was a superstar, ended up being that in St. Louis, and getting back Carlos Gonzalez, mm-hmm. who turned out to be a superstar. But honestly, they just don't happen very often. And so I highly doubt any of the players the Rockies got back are going to turn into be anything that no one was, just because historically that just doesn't happen. So if you're a Rockies fan, the next question you have is, what does that mean for Trevor Story? Again, you know, and the fact that they have not engaged him yet in a contract discussion would lead me to believe that if it doesn't happen in the spring, they're just going to play it out and see where the club is come July and then see where the industry is. If they don't find it, you know, appropriate deal there, do everything they sign, try to sign them at the conclusion of the season by playing it out because there's so many shortstops on the market. And honestly, not every club is going to be playing for a shortstop. So they're just going to have to play it out, hoping that, you know, when all the chairs are filled, they'll still have the best offer on the table. And he'll want to come back there. Hey, Dan, there's uh, the, the Cardinals, obviously, as you know, they, they've built a monster here that has to be fed, and they haven't won a championship since 2011. And before the Arenado trade, uh, you know how baseball fans are. There was a, a large sure. portion of Cardinal fans that wanted John Mozeliak fired. So I want to get your perception, your read from another general manager's perspective of how Mo does at his job. Yeah, I think that, you know, honestly, every GM in every market always is the one that wants to be fired. I mean, I took the job in Colorado at the end of 99, and for 15 years, um, honestly, they wanted to fire me. And at times, I really got it, too, by the way. Um, I think the thing that I respect about, you know, Mr. DeWitt uh, and Mo and, um, is the way they, they did some really consistent. You know, you can – there are a lot of different ways to build a championship club, but none of it's – Uh, applicable unless you're consistent in your philosophy and approach. For me, the Cardinals through the years, much to the chagrin, I think, of their fan base, at times build their clubs to be consistently good and to put themselves to play meaningful games in September with an opportunity to play postseason games in October, Mm -hmm. knowing that the shorter the calendar gets, the more luck is involved in the fact. And I know so many fans don't want to hear that, but baseball really is a, such a unique game because of the length of the season that uh, skill and luck at times are intertwined in the results of your performance. And so the beauty of that philosophy 
guys is you never go through a period of time where you stink. The downside of that philosophy is sometimes you don't put yourself into a position of really being the dominant team talent-wise above everybody else. And so it depends on how you look at it. I can tell you that what I think Mo has done as direction from ownership is be very consistent in that approach year in, year out, and be very methodical in how they build their teams, always making sure that there's not that exceptional dip where you're into a four- or five-year rebuild, like what the Cubs you know, may be facing here um, this year and as they move forward. I think the Cubs are going to still be a good team this year. But at some point in time, when you continually take your payroll beyond its maximum exposure, ultimately that check's going to come due. A uh, couple more quick things, and you can watch Dan on MLB Network's programming, including 30 Clubs in 30 Days Spring Training Series. That returns tomorrow, and we'll feature, feature the Cardinals on March 8th. Uh, I just want to get your take, again, from a former GM's perspective. We had Ned Coletti on the show yesterday. He said, first, the first big contract I signed was Sandberg, 28 over 4. Then I had Barry Bonds, 90 over 7. And then did the $212 million with Clayton Kershaw. Now you're seeing the deals like uh, Tatis signed last week. You've got the Machado yep. deal on the same team. From the money that you spent with the Rockies to where it is now, it's got to be pretty incredible to think about signing a contract for a player for that amount of money. It is. I don't think you can paint um, the entire answer to that with one brush. I think every case is uniquely different. I think uh, free agent contracts are more problematic only because you don't know the player exceptionally well. I think when you do it with a homegrown player, you do know that player well, good or bad, but you do know the player uh, and you know how to maximize those contracts. Um, These contracts work for me when you don't um, maximize your payroll by committing to just a few guys, because then I think it becomes problematic when you can't build a team around a particular group of signing or one signing and you're putting all of your eggs in that basket for that player to be uh, inevitably everything. And that level of expectation is simply just not possible to fulfill. So I think if you, if your percentage of payroll is reflective of the fact that you can really afford this contract and still continue to add really good players around that particular individual, more than not, those contracts are going to work and they're going to work out pretty well. But if you, if your percentage payroll is gigantic to that one player and then you're surrounding that player with, second, third-tier free agents on the market or young players that you're developing through your system year in and year out, that's when those contracts become a little bit of an albatross. Dan, we're looking forward to 30 teams in 30 days, including the Cardinals on March 8th, and we always love your work at MLB Network. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's nice to have someone on other than Greg Amziger all the time because he is a Yes. The the thing I don't understand about Greg doing radio is you can't see him on the radio. We talk about his uh, hair you can every only week. See him on TV. I I figured that. I'm sure he lets you know how good it looks at the beginning of the interview too. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All righty, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for having me. It should be a fun summer in uh, St. Louis this year. We'll do it again soon. Thanks, Dan. Take care. Dan O'Dowd, the former GM of the Rockies from MLB Network. He's great. But he's right. We do talk about Greg's hair every week. Yeah. And, and, and we should, because yeah. it's ma- majestic. Magnificent. Yeah. Coming up, we're going to get ready to uh, talk with our friend Dan McLaughlin. Scoops with Danny Mac and the Dan McLaughlin Show with BK. Coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> 
that music just sneaks up on you, doesn't it? Sure does. Grabs you. <laughs> Dan McLaughlin is here, Michelle and Randy. And uh, Danny, uh, one serious thing before we get to uh, the frivolity and fun that we generally I enjoyed have. your interview with Bob Herrick, guys. It was very good. He's good, man. He's it's great. He has golf covered. And we're going to get to it in a second. But Michelle and I had the conversation earlier, and I want you to, because you have a great cardinal memory, I really do think that every single member of the starting eight this year has the potential to be a gold glove winner. And I don't remember the last time I thought that. So obviously O'Neill did, Bader, uh, Carlson, and then all the infielders. Yeah. uh, And Yachty. So you go back, number one, I don't know if there's a team in baseball that I can think of off the top of my head that has that. And I I can't think of a Cardinal team because even like the 80s teams that were so great defensively, they had Jack Clark at first base. Yeah, the 82 team would be the one infield-wise would infield-wise yeah. 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 that oh, I'd yeah, say definitely. like one of the best, best ever. Yeah, you start with the best shortstop and the best first baseman ever, right? Right, I, I think so, defensively. And then, yeah, 82 outfield is not because you got skates and left, yeah. so that ain't going to cut it. You had Willie out in center by the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, that helped. But, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of that. I mean, the 85-87, you had Van Slyke, which... You know, he was a tremendous mm-hmm. defender and didn't get the credit he deserved defensively. I don't think in St. Louis that no. he got one when he finally got a chance to really show what he could do in Pittsburgh. Then you you saw the gold gloves and things of that nature. And it was more pronounced in center field for him, wasn't it? Yeah, than, than I, I right think here. that's what I thought. Um, and then I was, Clark was that was the thing the, there. Exactly. He had to move Clark to first base. Yeah. But then, you know, I was thinking about this, too. Albert didn't get enough credit. Um, not Jeff, but. Albert Pujols yeah. didn't get enough credit for his defense. Like that, those Cardinal teams in the early 2000s, they had guys that would take chances with the game on the line. So if Albert was, so say somebody was bunting and you could get the lead runner at third and he would bare hand and kind of shift his body to make that off balance mm-hmm. throw. And I mean, the game on the line in the eighth or the ninth, he would make that, he would try to make that play. Yachty, same thing, will always take a chance. I mean, it's a calculated, educated chance, guess, whatever you want to say. But, man, they had the internal uh, guts to make those plays. So you had Roland, Renteria was kind of unsung. At one point, you had Vina, you had Albert, you had Yachty, you had Jimmy in center. Reggie Sanders was pretty mm-hmm. good. Larry Walker was tremendous when he was yeah. here for a year and a half, even d- d- fight, despite the fact that he wasn't you know, still in his prime, yeah. but still was such a smart player. I'm thinking Those about a great defensive player. Yeah. It, 04 was the one that comes to mind. Yeah, Womack wasn't terrible. Wasn't terrible, but... Wasn't it obviously not in the league of those guys, no. but was serviceable. Yeah, he so was fine. Might, maybe that, that group with Vina, Matheny. Matheny was yeah, awesome. So like, oh, after you get rolling in 02, maybe you, you, that's yeah. the group, right? Who was in left in 02? Uh, trying to think. Because you didn't have Sanders by that time. No. Ah, who was it? I don't even remember. Yeah, I'd have to look that up. I'm sure the texters will help us out. Yeah, 02 yeah. left fielder. But you had Jimmy and was Juan E there yet? No. Nope, Juan was not there yet. Okay. Because he, he, he was part of the 06 championship yeah, team. And he was only he signed a three year fifteen million dollar deal yeah. in Carnacion. Yeah. Okay. So he was there in oh six, seven, and then part of seven, yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. J D was gone. Um Well, no, he he was gone. He was traded after oh three. Oh three? Yeah. So that's right, because he they got Wayno. So, um so he would have been in right for those teams. Yeah. 
You're talking O2, right? Yep. Pujols. Yeah, Albert would have oh, been. Oh, yeah, Tino. Yeah. Yeah, Tino was here. That's right. Thanks. And then he had, at that point, remember, Albert was dealing with a sore elbow. They would tell him to flip yeah. it to Jimmy to right. throw it in because they wanted right. his bat. Yeah. Smart move. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, let's get to Tiger because we both, uh, for a long time, have had a great adoration of his game. And I, I certainly, when I first got the news yesterday, oh, I was man. fearing for his life. I think na- that's a, the natural thing. Your serious car accident, jaws of life, you think, oh, man problems yeah i i just the thing that amazed me that I, I was thinking big picture of this whole deal was the role that he's played in sports like you flipped around your television last night prior to the press conference which i think was at six o'clock st louis time and i mean if you went to msnbc to nbc to fox to everywhere sport the golf channel everyone was talking tiger mm-hmm. i mean he shut down the news of everything else going on for the most part for a long, everybody was talking tiger and, and just, I reminded me of how he, number one, how important sports are to our, to Americana, to mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. It made, made me think of that. And then the other thing is he just trans, he, he transformed the game, but brought so many other people into the game of golf. When you're talking about specifically golf and thank God he's going to hopefully make this and get out and who knows about his golf career. But it was just amazing to see the country fixated on a golfer and, and how we value sports in our country. I really thought that. It also reminds you how fragile life is and oh, how yeah. things can change mm-hmm. in a second. And to, to your point about everyone being fixated, everybody where I went yesterday, people were talking about this, wondering if he was okay, checking their phones. When I'm at the gym, I hear over here people talking about it. Every TV I saw was on Tiger Woods. And it's because he is a star among stars. And we, we talked to Bob Harry earlier in the show, and I think golf as a collective has been trying to wonder what life is going to be like post-Tiger Woods for a long time. I think they've gotten a little taste of it. You know, he hardly played for a couple of years. And because I so I, I think about my own golfing viewing habits. I love golf. So mm-hmm. I, I will watch golf all the time. Me too. But when he's involved in any tournament and I don't care how poorly he's playing, I want to know where he's at. Like, what's he doing? I will go to an app that is following the golf of Tiger Woods. Um, and I do think. That he um, so first of all he brought in so many casual fans man I just changed the game and all these young players and and all the the money that's involved in the game because he was must see TV so those pots got really big but I, I just think that people would stop and watch him more so than any other yeah. player that's ever played the game if he was in he was he, he you were going to watch now having said that I think that we have to your question or your point. I think we have seen a little bit of what life will be without Tiger because he hasn't played all that much. You know, he's probably mm-hmm. trying to play in some tournaments if he's healthy enough. But there was about a two-year period he basically didn't play. And so he did have young yeah. stars, but he never, ever had a guy like this. And I think just from a complete sports standpoint, we saw it with Kobe. It was wall-to-wall with when, yeah. when Kobe died. We would see it if something happened to LeBron or Brady in America. But I think globally... yeah. Tiger might be the most transcendent athlete ever because of the time in which he lives, because we have social media and because we have all of these avenues to be able to watch him or find out about him. I think he's, if he's the most transcendent athlete of this time, he's the most transcendent athlete ever. And that means transcending the sports world, moving into the real world. I I would agree. I I was thinking about that too last night. If, and you named the players I thought about, and I also thought Michael Jordan, too, mm-hmm. even now. Yeah. Uh, even though he's not played for years. But he is 
globally the biggest, I think, star in sports. LeBron may be right there with him. It's those two. I don't think it's Brady. Um, I think it's those two. Yeah, I agree. Globally. Yeah. It was it was something else. So hopefully, God, could you imagine if he made it back and well, played golf again? It would be just incredible. And the thing that we talked about w- with Bob Herrig, and I mentioned it earlier to Michelle, and you walk courses. You walk a lot. Can you And you walk a golf course without a bag a lot. Think about that with a shattered leg coming back and having to deal. I'm sure he's going to have some arthritis and just having five to, back surgeries yeah, too, and having to walk four days in a row and then swing the club. The think veracity with, that he swings the club yeah, with. Yeah. Think about it without clubs. Right. And then think about adding the golf game into it. it that's the, the interesting thing too. I thought last night watching all the coverage is how the players reacted to it. Yeah. If that was 10 or 15 years ago, you would of course had players saying, I'm concerned my thoughts and prayers and my, Thoughts are with his family and all that kind of stuff, but there was genuine like there was they like him Did, and how well, much he's changed his perception on tour in the last five or ten years. Did you see the interview with Max Homa after he won the other day? Oh yeah, he he was crying and he couldn't wait. He was so scared to talk to Tiger when the tournament started. He said, "Now he's going to be forced to talk to me." This is a kid that grew up in L.A. and is playing because of Tiger Woods. That's the other thing. So many players are playing now because of Tiger. He's changed the sport, yeah. and it's you know the next generation is going to be Tiger people, and the generation to an extent of what we see now are Tiger guys. Mm-hmm. Those young guys that got involved. I mean, and and the other thing he did, he made he made golf cool for a lot of kids. Definitely, you know that's the oh, other yeah. part. You know, we we have athletes now playing this game. You don't see a lot of the guys with the little belly out or they're <laughs> overweight and they're you know whatever. I miss Fuzzy Zeller. Yeah, you don't see that. <laughs> You're seeing guys that are in shape yep. and take care of their bodies and do it right. And he, they're bringing athletes. He brought athletes into the sport, he which really is did. awesome. Yeah. What do we got coming up on the Danny Mac show with BK? Uh, Rick Horton is going to check in from right. down in uh, Jupiter. Yeah. Love it. So we'll find out what's going on. Apparently, it's a big day. This is the bunning competition. Oh, Ooh, yeah. This is competitive. Yeah, it's competitive, but, you know, whatever. I'm, somebody will yeah. cheer. Somebody yeah, sure. Come away we'll with have a victory. couple people cheer. All right, looking forward to that. Okay, looking forward to it. Emily Butcher, engineer, thank you. Thank you. Michelle, this was great. It was, Randy. See you tomorrow. And we will be back with Dan at 7 a.m. Yeah. He'll be with us on Thursday and Friday. So for all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. And until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman podcast, powered by I Promise. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. It's a well-known fact that good sleep leads to a happier life. 
okay, maybe that's not a fact fact, but don't you just feel amazing after a great night's sleep? Like the first night back in your own bed after traveling. It's time to demand more first night back kind of sleep. Stop tossing and turning and talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more.